0: listening to an OTB AM podcast. You can watch the show or listen live every weekday morning at 7.45am. Subscribe to the OTB AM podcast stream for more stuff just like this. Hi very good morning for you, welcome along. got a great show for you lined up today. We're going to talk about uh, Spygate, Martello Bielsa. We'll go to South America's Tim Vickery to get his thoughts on it and Keith Wood is going to give us his thoughts on the Ireland squad for the first two games of the Six Nations. So it's not the entire squad, but the entire thing. And if you've missed out on this, then, uh, you know, life isn't uh, a complete disaster, but mm. it's a bit of a kick in the teeth for some of the players, and it's also a massive boost for others. We'll get through that in just a little while. Owen is here this morning. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I insulted Owen this morning by asking him if he got the cultural frame of reference for the back page of The Sun, which has uh, an international man
1: of mystery with the face of Martello Vialse on it. It was deeply insulting that I was asked, do you understand what Austin Powers is? That's the most insulting thing anybody's ever said to me. And then it turns out that it wasn't a completely ridiculous question. What year was the first Austin Powers movie? Nineteen ninety-seven. What age were you? Three. Right. So there you go. It turns out a, you, you know me. I'm a man uh, before my time, Jer. Uh, you were born old. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, born old. Born with a receding hairline. Uh, all right. Is that is that a touchy thing for you? <laughs> well, no. I, I, it was a joke. All right. Or oh, can you be born with a receding hairline? Uh, I mean, you know, <laughs> you'd be pretty unfortunate, but. <laughs> I guess I see it now that you've pointed out. Yeah, well uh born with that. And uh what 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 were we talking about? Austin <laughs> We're
0: keeping a close eye on the golf this morning. Shane Lowry was uh, the leader in the clubhouse after the first round with a stunning 10 under par 62. Ian Polter has joined him at the top of the leaderboard also on 10 under par. He's 4 under 317 of his round today. Uh, Lee Westwood on 9 under, Scott Jemison on 9 under, and then there's a bunch of them on 8 under and a few good players still to go out. So Lowry hasn't teed off yet.
1: He'll be teeing off around about uh, 25 past 12 our time. Is that right? Not going out for another four or five hours? That'd be pretty good. I long. think you got that wrong. I think he's... Off. Shane Lowry, I think, is like he's teeing off at the next hour. Uh, all right, so maybe that's local time. That must be local time, yeah. Okay. Um, that would
0: make sense, that they put it in local time as opposed to in the time in which you're viewing it, which, you know, they do on lots of other sites. It's been a good start for you this morning, hasn't it? Yeah, that was great. I mean, we've, we've found your Achilles heel. Not really. Yeah, totally. From all my strength, really.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, let's, um, let's bring you this. So, Spygate has led to, you know, a lot of hand-wringing. Uh, Frank Lampard's definitely not going to talk about it But he wants to make sure the authorities are dealing with it He's definitely not going to use it as an excuse for the fact that his team were beaten And that it was a distraction in the build-up to the game Because that was not what happened Definitely was not a distraction But he's not going to talk about it anymore So stop answering questions about it any time now He's going to stop talking about Marcelo Bielsa Uh, It turns out that spying has been endemic in the game for years And that lid was lifted gloriously by Kevin Galban last night Have a look
2: over the years, though, as well, I've, I've heard it at various football clubs, and, it, and I believe it to be true, where kit men have been outside doors, kit men, uh, kit men or, or kit rooms that are adjacent to uh, or parallel with changing rooms, away team dressing rooms, that there's, a, there's very little uh, wall between them or a, a very, very thin wall between them where the kit man goes into the room, listens to what the opposition's manager is saying pre-match and when they arrive at the ground, basically just little things this, this, is, this is common practice across football. And it's, I, I, if I was a manager of an opposition when it was happening to me, of course, rightly, you'd be annoyed and you, you know, you'd, want actually, you'd want to go and kill the fellas when they're doing it. But this is common practice across the game. This, is, well, this has actually, gone
0: on for
3: years. But well, what you're actually annoyed at is being found out. That's you're, not, funny, you're, yeah. not, you're not annoyed totally. at the other person for doing it. You're, be, you're annoyed that you're allowed to be got.
4: But surely in this day and age where you can get tiny little recording devices... It would be easy to put
2: one in an opposition dressing room and I'm listen sure it's been word done. for word I'm sure it's been done. to what they've said. Genuinely, I'm sure it's been done. I mean, it's, if you, then, if you I get... I wouldn't if, recommend if, it, obviously. Yeah, it is, but was if, if things like that. If, 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 and it's more the fact is getting found out where it becomes the big story. I think it was Keith. Keith was talking Friday, wasn't he, on Sky, around uh, Keith was outraged by it. Like, Keith was so strong on it. I was like, Keith, like... I, 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 fair enough, it's, that, that's his opinion on it. But, like... What, what realistically would Bielsa have learned from his guy watching derby training? Unless they're working on some special free kicks and corners, unless they're working on something really intricate tactically, which is un- unlikely.
0: Yeah, and uh, you were saying you'd forgotten about um, Kitman hiding in the laundry basket, uh, Josie Mourinho, he was, uh, he was banned from being on the touchline, and so therefore banned from being in the stadium, but they smuggled him in.
1: Was it a Champions League game? Champions League game, I think. Was that the Bernabeu? I I, I can't quite remember, but uh, he was smuggled in and then out out of uh, the the stadium into a hotel nearby uh, after delivering a rousing pre-match speech, not out. Just like Marilyn Monroe popping out of the uh, birthday cake for JFK. Well, Exactly, exactly. And then he sang Happy Birthday to someone or or something like that, whatever happens next. Uh, It it is a very good point there that there are far better technology at the moment than an actual human being being there, whatever, listening in via glass into a dressing room or whatever it may be. I wonder our dressing room is bugged, for example. It seems like a pretty sensible thing to do. If I mean, he, it was the he, first thing Nathan thought of, so, like... If you would stand he, outside a dressing room with a glass, you would bug a dressing room.
0: He, he's not the only evil genius in football, our Nathan. Uh, yeah, look, I mean... Did, did Bielsa kill it yesterday? Is that it? It's over?
1: Uh, Well, it's hard to tell. He said that he wanted to kill us yesterday in terms of the real press conferences tomorrow for the weekend, but let's get this one out of the way and actually lay all the cards on the table as to what actually happened. Part of me hopes that Bielsa was completely lying yesterday, that he just just made up everything, uh... and that we've now started to think of uh, Marcelo Bielsa as an absolute genius, rather than someone who kind of made a, a blatant error. If he is putting in this much effort into the intricacies of video analysis... Surely he could do a little bit better in terms of planning his spies. Uh, it, it seemed like a, a fairly spotable thing. As in, th- there was some suggestion that uh, the, the, per- the spy in question had come along in some sort of camouflage uh, uh, outfit so as how, well as pliers. How did they get caught? Uh, I, I, I'm not quite sure, actually. So how did this, yeah? Like, the, if you're getting caught with a spy it's probably not a good enough spy. And I think you've got to take a little bit of blame for that. If you're that much of a meticulous planner, then you've got to pick a better method of spying. I mean, get, get somebody inside the, the football club. I don't know what it is that you do. Turn them. Turn them, exactly. Like the Russians. Well, precisely. You're there's, there's, a Russian spy, are you? Well, I am, actually, yeah. Uh, I'm being rumbled here again this morning. Uh, like, that is, that is how you do it. I, and I, part of me kind of hopes that he's just made it all up yesterday and he's not actually just this meticulous planner. Of course, the whole point is that spying doesn't matter. I know everything about you anyway. He's right. It, it, I wonder, he, There was a bit about uh, one of the
0: corner kick takers. Yeah. I can't even remember which one it was now. But uh, he always puts balls. Harry on his Wilson. Up, um, and that's a, That's a specific move. That's his signal. You're thinking. those lads need to get slightly better signals? You know, like I know. Two, twice of the ear, touch of the nose, uh, anything other than the two hands up it's like that's very hard to spot yeah every the, time he gives the two hands up there's like a guy at the near post and a guy in the penalty spot and they're the only ones who don't move everybody else
1: moves is there a pattern there I can't, I can't see that pattern Next time somebody puts their two hands up before a corner and it hits the first man and doesn't reach anybody, that, that that's something I'm going to laugh at because you know it's a pre-planned move that's gone badly, badly wrong. <laughs> the
0: guy at the front is actually supposed to get there first. Anyway, uh, the other thing that we wanted to talk about this morning was um, this outstanding piece of skill uh, or else this abomination to the game of Gaelic football. You get to decide. Have a look at this. It's um, from a Sigerson match. we to stick this up now. So one of the seven goals scored by UCC. Oh, we're going to have to show that again because you miss it. You're thinking, is it too many hand passes? No. UCC against Athlone IT, hand pass header into the back of the net. we saw it one more time? We can keep this rolling because it takes you a few minutes to actually get used to it. Boom. What a beautiful header. Like
1: the skull and crossbones obviously on the uh, storied black and red jerseys of UCC. I really hope that it wasn't actually, so there's one hand pass, two hand passes. I really hope it was a kick pass before all that and he didn't need to head the ball into the back of the net. He was just doing it to rub Athlone's face in it.
0: This is exactly the thing that's going to get the hand-pass rule taken out of the book straight away. This is not a skill of our game. This is a skill of a foreign sport. Delete, delete, delete. Yeah, it's... That's what's going to happen. Right. Oh, somebody headed the ball at the end of that. We never
1: thought that was going to happen. We thought that something else was going to happen, but not this. Well, actually, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. He had every right to punch the ball into the back of the net. I, you can do that, can you? That's not a That's not a hand-pass. That's. He didn't. He, I've just realised. There was absolutely no. What I just said there, uh, being sarcastic, saying, I hope he was rubbing Athlon IT's face in it. He that's was. exactly what he was yeah, doing. He was. had absolutely no need yeah. to header that ball. That was not a product well, of the, the hand pass rule. That would not be counted as a hand pass. It's a, it's a more. They got rid of the hand pass into the goals rule decades ago. It's a deadlier weapon. The more. you got. You know, if you're a talented ball player, you've got more control, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I I don't know. Uh, I would like to think that two hands and palming the ball into the back of the net would give you a little bit more control than a a head like Maradona had more control with his hand than he did with his head. Everybody has more control with their hands. I really hope we see more of that in terms of uh, inventive ways of uh, scoring when you're absolutely destroying a team. But uh, this was not a a product of the hand pass rule. Maybe he thought it was, but you can can punch the ball into the back of the net. So so what's going to happen? Nothing. This was just a funny moment that happened in say I hate to, to burst your bubble here this morning. It was just a funny moment that happened in a serious game. Dude, Do you, you don't think there's outrage around certain committees going? This is soccer. No. <laughs> well, they, they could come up with like a, a ban on heading and volleying, and that would be kind of uh, the way they could move forward with this. But the, this is not, as I say, for the umpteenth time, a product of the new rules. Uh, I, I feel like I'm becoming a bastion of hope for the new rules at this point. Any time that they're going to be chipped away at, I'll stand here and defend them uh, until we see them fully in action. And uh, like that's, I don't know, I, I like that, it's great, but maybe they'll need to come up with a separate rule to stop it. Yeah, okay, so coming
0: up, we've got the uh, sports pages at, uh, you know, a minute ago. Uh, Keith Wood's going to join us at uh, quarter past eight this morning. Sports news from 8.35 35 with Darren. Tim Vickery talking about Martello Bielsa. Is around about eight forty-five, and then we'll talk about the UGA rules and a big breaking UFC story overnight from Off the Brawl. Uh, Khabib's coach Javier Mendez uh, has demanded an immediate rematch with
1: Conor McGregor in Cowboy Stadium. That's not how rematches work. The victor demanding a rematch, but anyway, obviously oh, see, he, he sees there's a cash cow here. Oh, sorry, I forgot about the money and no chance of defeat. Forgot, forgot about that that element of things. It is unusual for a, a victor to be demanding a, a rematch. Obviously, UCC scored seven twenty-six. Against Athlone IT. Yeah, UCC are strong. Very strong. Should there be a mercy rule in GAA? No. Why not? Because why should there be mercy in any sort of facet of life? Athlone IT will probably beat UCC eventually, and those people who are on the losing UCC side would wish that UCC beat them by 836 instead of 726. Why? Paddy Clifford scored 3-1, apparently. Yeah, he's pretty good. So, but, like, he's scoring 3-1 in the game. Like,
0: uh, there comes a garbage time in that when... You players pad out their stats whereas actually going 25 points up should be a <laughs> all right lads you're not coming back for 25 points I'm really sorry you're not very good they're very good let's go there's no need for anybody to risk injury there's no need for this 25 points game over I think that's an absolute load of Great balls idea. to be honest I think come, Brian, on. That's oh, come on come on how do the Athlone IT players benefit from being
1: absolutely mullered thumb crushing like that is the most pleasurable thing about sport <laughs> You're such a prick. Like when we absolutely muller Italy with our second team of the Six Nations, yeah, we're, really all gonna, we're all going to feel absolutely well, amazing about ourselves. There'll be a pep in our steps, saying we is. are so much more superior that's to Italy, Italy. That's in it. every facet of life. We're more handsome than them, we're more successful than them, every <laughs> single part of it. And that is why uh, mullerings should be important. And when they happen, allow them to happen and embrace them. We are more handsome than Italy, says <laughs> says,
0: <laughs> says Carrie Mano and Sheehan. Fair play to you.
1: Well, what's, the, what's with the I kind li- of
0: geographical... I like your I like ...specificity there? Uh, take it through the newspapers this morning. Time for the newspapers. Going to start with the Irish Times. Uh, Connacht, the big winners is as Schmidt embraces green energy. Uh, Klein ready for 80 minutes of hell against Exeter Chiefs. So it's uh, the squad in action, squad analysis, and preview of the Munster Exeter game this weekend. And then, very quickly here, Bielsa admits to spying on all his championship rivals. Honours even and friends intact as Vieira's niece hold out Henri's Monaco. So uh, it'd be nice to live in Nice and Monaco, it'd be the two lads. That, it's a good lifestyle they might be the two nicest jobs in world sport there there is a statement nicest there's a statement not best but like yeah i live in you know as up the mountain tootle over to training where the sun always shines
1: yeah like it is still living in an environment which isn't particularly welcoming i'd imagine monaco unless you're theory on re maybe what do you mean like say say it was you living in Monaco there's a thousand people who go to the
0: games like boo I'm going to go and get into my Lamborghini here I don't really care that we lost I'm like sipping on my champagne and I'm probably not getting done for drink driving because I'm driving a Lamborghini yeah
1: like if you're you're living in Monaco do you think you'd have nice neighbours
0: Richard Dunn could be my neighbour
1: yeah well other than Richard Dunn Richard Dunn is the nicest man who lives in Monaco I suspect yeah uh, other than that, I can't imagine that it's too much of a welcoming place. I'd say there's lots of empty, empty apartments that people maintain the residency. Maria, there's no soul to Monaco, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so it's living, like n- nice, nice sunshine. Is there soul in Nice? Yeah, Nice is a beautiful, massive. When were you proper in Nice? City.
0: I've been to Nice loads. Was right, okay, well-traveled man. Well, no, not really. It's good Nice. Like, I got engaged out the road from Nice. All right, congratulations. Thanks very much. It was a while ago. <laughs> Dub set to lose second Coke Park Super 8 game. Are they, though? Are they really? Daily Gold Motions. Next month's GA Congress could force change of fixture scheduling. We'll talk about this a little bit later on. Sexton on course to face England in opener. I mean, he's on course to face them. Does that mean you pick him? I'd say I'm, I'm, like, the only person in the world who thinks that... Uh, yes, you, you are. ...at this point. Get on board. That's, uh... Can I just have a word? <laughs> I wouldn't like to see Joe Schumann make that face in the middle of training. Yeah. That's the Change rooms that way, lads uh, Schmidt's Six Nations call up Show Japan tickets up for grabs Chasing the dub Shane Walsh says Galway will tweak tactics to progress After they came in For a lot of criticism last year Class acts Sigerson wins for UCC Corny Willardy Last four decided um, uh, Andy Reid on O'Neill Nobody in Nottingham Gets sick of club stories Well, that's good Because they're about to get a load And uh, Appleshade Is set for Town, But is a doubt For the champion hurdle uh, accidentally showed you the front of the uh, times there I apologise for bringing some bad news to your lives Cardi given shock call up by Schmidt this is it three uncapped comic players have been named in Joe Schmidt's squad and last Guinness Six Nations squad Caelan Blade the scrum half did we get to Caelan? did we get a fine because I, I, Richie last night was going with Caelan, which is what a, it looks like to me you just went with Caelan though yeah so you've obviously uh back to St. Caelan Qualen Blade, the scrum half, Jack Carty, the fly half, and Tom Farrell, the centre, all
1: included in the 38-man squad. How many do we bring to the World Cup? Is it 38 as well? I think it's 33. Ooh, it's I think it's a smaller squad again by a right. few, yeah. Uh,
0: this is a preview from uh, the Racing Post, ahead of the uh, Andy Murray's Conqueror um, is up against Batusta Agut no Batusta Agut was Andy where he's conquering is up against uh, Kachanov and the 22 year old saying they're going to win and then death of Jardine workrider Galpin in Gallop's tragedy so Natasha Galpin a workrider with Ian Jardine has died following an accident on the Ebor winning trainers Gallops at Curlustown in Scotland at the age of just 22 a timely reminder that um, everybody involved in racing uh, are just moments away from tragedy it's an incredible sport really Um, anyway
1: uh, the Heralds lead with Damien Duff saying that Celtic are the only club I'd leave Ireland for And uh, Unai Emery said he wants friction among Arsenal players He's not too afraid of infighting if that were to happen uh, at Arsenal Infighting maybe is a little bit strong but he likes the edge that's been shown within the Arsenal dressing room Backpage of the Sun as we've already showed you is I've spied on every team, oh behave, madcap Argentine reveals full extent of undercover ops And yeah baby, he insists none of it has broke rules. Marcelo Bielsa, international man of mystery. Also inside the sun, uh, if you go inside the, uh, inside on the page 54, the bottom left, there is a little head of Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa, which says, I'm not sure if you can see it here, where is Bielsa? Uh, Leeds boss has admitted spying on rivals in the championship. His eyes are everywhere. Check out the rest of today's sun sport pages. And uh, each page you go through, There is a little Marcelo Bielsa head hidden there for you to spot. So you can play a game while you're reading the articles uh, in the sun this morning. It's an added incentive. Back page of the Mirror is drifting towards the end. Petit fears Ozel has lost desire and motivation and is sleepwalking into his retirement. It's an exclusive with John Cross this morning. The back page of the Irish Daily Mail is Burn Dumped. Carty called up ahead of Leinster star in the big shock on yesterday's Six Nations squad. And I spy on you all, admits Leeds boss Bielsa. We should stress again that it is Marcelo Bielsa's interpreter who's actually telling us all of this. But I really hope Bielsa has said something entirely different and the interpreter is actually just taking it upon himself to make this story absolutely gigantic. The back page of the Irish Daily Star is I Sent All The Spies, Bielsa's sensational admission. And, is that uh, a
0: pun on I, I add all the pies?
1: Yes. Is it? Yes. I sent? Yeah, a like, uh, once the sun hoovered a up all the, the spy jokes, the, the, news, the rest of the newspapers are kind of left picking up scraps. Yeah. Uh, I sent all the spies, though. It's a pretty good ar- pretty good one when, when everything it? else has been taken. It's fine, like. No, it's terrible. What, what would you order? Dunno, I don't me, know. Give me something else. I mean, I, I, I haven't had... Can heard you it. do better yourself?
0: Well, it happened yesterday at what time? Six or seven, was it? Yeah, plenty of time for them to, like, come up with something better, no? Like, what would you have said? I mean, if
1: I had five hours, I think I could beat... I sent all the spies. Bielsa, I spied on everyone, says the back of The Guardian. Leeds manager admits sending staff in secret to watch opponents training, but I did not have bad intentions. We've also got this story here by Sean Engel. Varnish loses critical employment case against British Cycling, so Jess Varnish, the former Great Britain track cyclist, uh, she's lost that employment case that she was taking against uh, British Cycling UK Sport, which had threatened to overhaul funding for Olympic athletes, so the legal proceedings have been going on for quite some time at this point, since about 2016, um, but she's lost the case. Her case was essentially that because she gets a grant to cycle, she is an employee
0: of British Cycling, um, and... Uh, they said, no, you're getting a grant from the lottery, so it's the same as a student grant, and we don't have to give you sick pay, we don't have to give you a pension, we don't have to do any of that other stuff. And so you can see both sides from a legal perspective. The way that is is probably um, accurate, if it's also seemingly unfair. Mm -hmm. Like, she's paid to cycle.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of the the ancillary cases within this. like She's now uh, unable to pursue a claim for unfair dismissal, sex discrimination and detriment suffered for being a whistleblower against British cycling or UK sport, which you would suspect would have been the next case. Yeah. Now,
0: maybe all of the other athletes should decide that they're not going to go ahead and represent their country uh, unless they are given the protections of being an employee because ultimately this is a charter for all of the NGBs to treat those individuals really abominably and do what the hell they want and be completely
1: outside of employment law. Yeah, not held accounts really by anyone.
0: Yeah, okay, so um, here's what's uh, coming up Thursday stories for you I'm going to talk about um, Andy Reid, not the footballer, uh, Celtic the Super 8s and Croker, the GPA rules survey, and we're going to start with the Irish Ruby squad. So this is the big story in most of the newspapers today. A bit of a surprise, really, in the fact that Ross Byrne, after a really excellent performance of the weekend, where he pulled the strings, um, took advantage of the gaps in the Toulouse defence, looked purposeful when running with ball, was accurate in his kicking, not good enough to be in the top three out-halves in the country at the moment.
1: Yeah, he might be, though. Uh, you do wonder if we needed to... Show the cat amongst the pigeons to some extent within this Six Nations squad announcement to let everybody know that there are still seats available on the plane to Japan, to let people know that there is always room for a curveball here. And I think the idea of Jack Hardy beating Ross Byrne to this particular squad might have actually given other people a, a bit of hope, no? Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. I think it's, um, it, it's uh,
0: just to enervate everybody in our show being, a, ooh. I'm not on the outside I thought I was miles and miles away I think um, you know how much conversation has there been about Tom Farrell up to this like in the last six or eight weeks but he got a name check I think before Christmas by Joe Schmidt at something and all of a sudden it was like
5: ooh what really
0: and then his performances have obviously been the centre of attention because he's been mentioned so when he does something good it gets noticed in a way that maybe it hadn't been um, clearly it had been noticed all the time by Joe Schmidt, so uh, I'd say everybody in Connacht
1: are pretty alive with uh, what's going on at the moment. And somebody even said that Tom Farrell's performances were energised by being name-checked by Joe Schmidt before Christmas as well, and this is the exact point of the Jack Carity inclusion as well, that you'd imagine there will be other people who'll uh, have an upturn in fortunes. Like he, Joe Schmidt name-checked a lot of other people that weren't in the squad as well yesterday. If you're, if you're not in the squad and you weren't name-checked by Schmidt yesterday, you've got a lot of work to do to get to Japan, I suspect. Yeah. I didn't realise it's 31 in the World Cup squad. 31. Yeah, it's, it's going to be ruthless It's going to be brutal There are going to be some top class rugby players Not on that squad Particularly in the back row If we don't get uh, too many injuries Yeah, so the back row obviously was the other
0: area Not so much of contention But um, there was no room for Dan Levy He's not done for the entire
1: tournament But um, at the moment you, you, know, you would be a little bit worried about that What's next on our uh, sports wire this morning? So, the GPA have uh, gone and done another survey as well. It's kind of, I'm not quite sure when this was actually carried out. Um, so it's obviously in re- relation to uh, the latest rules. It's them who came up with the uh, proposal that these new rules should not be implemented for the National League. And that's why we have this meeting on Saturday to decide whether or not the rules will be implemented in the National League. So uh, just reading off the, the Star story today by Carlo Inter Intercounty GA players and managers, they've come out overwhelmingly against the three hand pass restrictions. So the new GPA survey says that some 90% of players and 78% of managers... Believe believe the rule uh, is has not been a good idea. It's it's had a negative impact on the future of uh, Gaelic football and the current state of Gaelic football, in fact. And now it seems that it's likely to be binned at Central Council this Saturday. You do wonder how much should actually be read into the survey from uh, a rules committee point of view, considering how vehemently opposed most of the intercounty managers have been to this particular rule. And you can see why they're opposed to it, because they've got systems in place, they've been working on game plans for the last few years and any rule change would would, would to a certain point kind of scupper a lot of the work that they've been doing. What culture is that creating in a dressing room? Well, you're you're being led by a manager who's outwardly against all of these rule changes. So when a survey comes to you as a player, what way are you voting? You've kind of been conditioned to think the same way as your manager, and you're probably going to vote against these rule changes. So I'm not so sure if this is actually something that needs to be read into too much come this Saturday. I really think that the pressure from managers and players, the current crop of managers and players. Needs to be ignored. Not ignored. It needs to be considered, and this is the end of (laughs) uh, it. we would have had, we would have, like,
0: 12, 14 years ago, whenever that um, experiment with the SIM bin was in, we would have had the SIM bin if the managers had not been listened to and hadn't gone and waged their campaign against the SIM bin, And that might have prevented the whole black card and that might have changed that might have been a very positive thing for the game. And it's pretty easy to have a stopwatch, click the stopwatch and ten minutes later somebody comes back on. It's not the hardest thing in the world to administer. It really isn't. But um instead now we have the black card which is completely open to interpretation. Is that is that not? Who knows? Why is it at the start of the season and not at the end of the season? Why is it at the start of the game and not at the end of the game? And we've ended up with a complete mishmash of where we're supposed to be. But that's why ignoring the managers now and then having a body of evidence. So in 10 years' time when somebody suggests we need to limit the number of hand passes, we'll have a body of evidence that says those games are terrible. Whereas if they do it now if, and if they stop it, in two years' time everybody's going to be saying the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, the other big story that's come out from uh, the GEA circles today, it's on the back of the Irish Independent, Martin Bretney reporting that Donegal are going to table a motion at Congress this year that will remove the opportunity for any county in the Super 8s to select Croke Park. As their home venue, which of course preclu- of course precludes Dublin from playing two games in Crow Park in the Super Eights. Now, what happens here? What does mm. Dublin pick if this uh, motion is put through? Now, I think the idea of uh, not being of not, of not allowing Dublin to use Croke Park as a neutral venue might have been a better wording of this. Yeah. But the whole point about that was that they didn't want to mention Dublin specifically in this because they wanted this to be kind of a one-size-fits-all rule. But of course, the end result of this is going to be that Dublin might actually have to play a Super 8s game in Parnell Park or else select uh, an outside-the-county venue as their home venue for the Super that 8s. That makes no sense. It, it makes less sense than the alternative, It makes for no sure.
0: sense. Name Dublin. Dublin can't play two games. Fair enough. Everybody goes grand. Away we go. It's not, it's not anti-Dublin. It's just like it's the integrity of the competition. It's really easy. This is going to get voted down because people will be like, "How will Dublin play home game
1: in Portlaoise or Navan?" Yeah, where do they go? It probably is Portlaoise. Where, where is the nearest large ground? Like Navan, Belfast. Is big enough. When, when they this could
0: be the this could be the spur to finally get Casement Park fixed, couldn't it? We're going to play all our games in Belfast. Screw
1: you. <laughs> Uh, their home Super 8s game against her own in Belfast uh, that, that would really kind of Kerry be proving a point Kerry in Belfast I'd love a trip to Belfast a Jamboree to Belfast would be absolutely outstanding <laughs> <laughs> alright okay so uh,
0: that's the type of stuff that gets shot down because they haven't thought it through
1: it, it ha- it's, yeah, it's definitely the wrong way to do Congress. There's a certain way you do Congress, and this is not it. There
0: should be a, excuse me, sir, what was what was most likely, if I write this, is it? am I going to get, or if I do this, what might happen? And they're going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes, and everybody goes, oh, that's a great idea. Well, well done. But there isn't. <laughs> I mean, the former presidents used to perform that function with stuff that they hated. They just go, we found a reason to kill you. Uh,
1: now, I don't know if they have as much power as they used to have. Yeah, I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, We want to talk Celtic briefly because, of course, Damien Duff has gone in as assistant manager to the reserve team. He's been speaking in the newspapers this morning saying that uh, Celtic is the only place he would go if he were to leave Ireland. I didn't realise Damien Duff is such a home bird. Yeah, well, he came home straight away. Yeah, like, it's true. he literally have lived anywhere in the world,
0: you know, like, made 20, 25 million in his career.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's all fair points. Like, is it kind of a sign for people that, you know, are are based abroad, that are Irish, that the idea of coming home isn't actually such a bad one? That you can be ambitious, you can go and uh, further your managerial uh, ambitions without actually leaving the country. Well, the I- irony here is that Damien Duff is actually speaking uh, on behalf of his new role as assistant manager to Celtic reserves team. But Celtic are also in the headlines today. Back at a star, Brendan Rogers is weighing up a loan move for James McCarthy. So this could be uh, the kickstart of James McCarthy's career needs uh, going to Celtic. He's obviously been ravaged with injuries recently. Is this, like, I- I'm trying to think, is this good news or bad news from an Irish perspective? I think oh, it's, it's great very news. good news. Yeah, I
0: think so. Um, I, think, I think Brendan Rogers has done a great job developing players and I think that he's doing really well there and who knows maybe Brendan Rodgers takes him with him wherever he goes next
1: I think the top of the Scottish Premiership is actually a very very good place for an Irish international to be playing at the moment Like the competitive nature of the Championship being one of the most insanely competitive leagues in the world just kind of hampers uh, uh, some sort of development, as in a change of manager happens so often. Yeah, maybe. It worked out for Matt Doherty. That's a very unusual situation in that. I think it is.
0: And the club gets taken over, and then all of a sudden loads of great players come in. So, um, yeah, give us your thoughts on that whether or not um, playing for. Winning side like Celtic is good for the confidence of everybody. Great story from Dave Hannigan today about the backstory of Andy Reid, who is the head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs. That's worth your while this uh, this morning. He's had um, two kids who have had issues with drugs in the past. One of them has ended up actually being the defensive lineman coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's made a full recovery. His other son died of a a drugs overdose um, while Andy Reid was still the coach at the Philadelphia Eagles. It's a great piece as well worth your while. Uh, digging out this morning or um, doing some background reading on that ahead of the game against the Patriots this weekend.
1: Uh, Yeah, Andy Reid, he got a lot of traction last week as well because it was absolutely pelting down with snow before the game at Arrowhead, and uh, he did his press conference in shorts. All right. So that's, uh, that's a man, he's, he's got real grit, that man. He is a hard-ass. Uh, right, it's
0: Rugby Next here on OTBAM with Keith Wood joining us in just a moment. But last night, Tony Ward, Eddie O'Sullivan and David Wallace spoke to Joe about the Six Nations 2019 Rugby World Cup and the Heineken Champions Cup at our Heineken Rugby Club Roadshow down in Gary Owen. Here's Tony talking about Ireland's World Cup draw.
6: We've got to deal with the Six Nations in the moment, as you rightly say, and obviously if we do well in that, that's a springboard to go forward from that again. The big problem in the World Cup, uh, yes, Scotland in the opening game is going to be really difficult. But if we get to the quarter final, it's 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 not the nightmare scenario. But I can't think of much worse than either South Africa or New Zealand. Uh, no matter who we get, obviously we'd prefer to get South Africa, which means we need to win our pool, and then we'll play South Africa in the quarter final. If we don't win our pool, we play New Zealand. Mm-hmm. So it's a really difficult quarterfinal, no matter what way we dress you it up.
0: You can get more of that good stuff at uh, <clears throat> youtube.com forward slash off the ball. Or Of course, you can subscribe to all our rugby podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Keith, well, good morning to you. How are you doing? Good morning, Chair. How are you getting on? I'm very well. We were um, speculating about whether or not... Um, George Smith actually thinks that Ross Byrne isn't in the top three of his outhouse at the moment and whether or not there's a bit of just making everybody be on edge as the Six Nations starts and ahead of selection for the Rugby World Cup. What's your take on the selection?
7: Um, I, I thought the whole <clears throat> selection was very, very good, very strong. <clears throat> the only big omission, of course, I think, being Ross Byrne. And, I, you know, I have a huge amount of sympathy for him because he played very well. And we called the game last week um, against Toulouse. And I thought he was a little bit nervy for the first 15, 20 minutes. But after that, he settled into the game incredibly well with that beautiful kick to the corner. Um, And he has been the man, uh, the third man for him for the last period of time. So there's no reason to think that he wouldn't. But um, I think he knows what he can get from him. And I think he's also offering up an opportunity to somebody else in a rich vein of form just to see if you get a bit of time inside in the camp He could have made it really easy for himself and had four out halves and said, "Look, let's not worry about it. Johnny's a bit injured and whatever." Um, I don't know that he necessarily does that or does that very often. I think he he's quite happy to put down a marker to say, "Yeah, I'll take you out for a period of time, but I know exactly what you're like and you can be back in next week." And he's done that in the past too. And I sometimes we get caught in a media frenzy of uh, trying to figure out exactly how do you justify what Joe is doing and um i always think you kind of go back to a game of chess with joe and see the whole board and see what actually uh, what's the rationale behind it i think he's covering huge options giving experience to a guy who doesn't have any um at this level getting him into a camp and this is the opportunity to do it
0: yeah the other thing is that the whole of the connacht training camp this week next week and for the rest of the six nations is going to feel alive with Possibility, because so many of them have actually made it, and he's he's been true to his word. He picked out Tom Farrell before Christmas for a mention, and all, all of a sudden, he, Farrell backs it up with performances, which is the key thing. Then yeah. he is actually legitimately in the squad on merit.
7: Well, and I think so, and I think he has. You know, we 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 sometimes sidestep the influence Joe Schmidt has had in our. You know, in the uh, in the provincial game, because he doesn't just look after Ireland. His um, his energy, his drive, his vision seems to drift into the psyche of, of everybody else, and he's the guy at the helm for Ireland. And I don't know that we've really had that before. I don't, We haven't had it before, where um, you've got such an attentive coach, uh, obsessive, I, I love saying to him because he doesn't like it when you say it to him, but he is. And <clears throat> what, he, what he wants for Irish rugby is... What he wants for himself, which is for Ireland to be very successful. And for that to happen, he kind of has to have an influence further down the line. And it's great while we have him. And then it's what is it going to be like for the next guy and the guy after that? Um, are they still able to have that level of strategic view going forward? So, look, I think it's exciting, but very, very tough on Ross Byrne. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It probably is. Yeah, like When you think about the kind of array of options as well that, they're, that they currently have at out half, we were discussing this with, with Andy Reid yesterday. And I guess when you go down through the pecking order at number 10, the idea of pitting Carty against Ross Byrne could actually be something that's quite fruitful come the World Cup time. Is he thinking worst case scenario, do you think, Keith, when he goes through the current Six Nations squad?
7: Uh, I think he's thinking best case scenario. I think he's looking to cover everything possible. Um, uh, if you go back to 2015, um, he was in his job for, for a, a period of time, but not a huge amount of time. Uh, we had a few injuries. We just didn't have players exposed at that level to um, to be able to step up with enough of experience to do so. I think it's at a point at the moment where Joey Carberry has now got a lot more than we had, and I think it puts Ireland into a strong position. Ross Byrne has got a couple of caps, Um you, you don't know what's going to happen over the next period of time, but we're not quite as um as shallow as we as we had been and it doesn't mean that everything is perfect either by the way and I, we get overly excited by our own system and our own structures a lot of time um It still comes down as Tony Ward said at the very start to a pretty difficult quarter quarterfinal one one way or the other you know so it's um there's a lot of work that has to happen between now and then.
1: Like obviously, that was a bit of a curveball when it comes to the overall squad yesterday. When it comes to putting forward our best fifteen for the England match, do you see Schmidt doing anything kind of like the squad yesterday in terms of curveballs?
7: No, I don't actually. I think, um, um, and I think that in some cases is the outer reaches of the squad. When you get down into the nuts and bolts, um, there's a lot of players that if you pick them none of them come across as a curveball. We have a a lot of strength and depth in that sort of 30, 32 region, probably out to nearly 40 at this stage. Um, But you wouldn't want all those guys at 38, 39, 40 to be drafted in against England. Um, And England are really gunning for this one. They were embarrassed by it last year. Their coach is struggling because, um, uh, and you've seen from all the, the press over the last couple of weeks, the amount of injuries that are there. Uh, the fact that English uh, Premiership rugby it doesn't seem to be flying the, the highest flag at the moment. Um, this is the, a big opportunity for them. So this is the only game they're thinking about at the moment, which I have to say is what Ireland under Joe Smith have done before. So we talk about what happens in a quarter final in a World Cup. He doesn't. He thinks about it, but he never talks about it. He talks about what's going to happen in this first game and then what's going to happen in the game after that.
0: I've been banging the drum that I think Joey Carby should start this game, irrespective of how fit or otherwise Sexton is at the moment. He has been carrying a little bit of a a niggle. We haven't yet seen Carby in a game of this magnitude. Granted, he did start the first test down under against Australia, and as uh, Andy Dunn pointed out the other day, Ireland were leading when he came off and when Sexton came on. So it's not like Schmidt hasn't trusted him in a big game, but it would be great to see him get that full opportunity, just so we know exactly what we have when or if we need it, at the World Cup?
7: Yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure whether that's the case or not, because I know that uh, Johnny Sexton is the more comfortable one for us uh, in that spot. I'm a fan of Joey Carberry. I, I mean, I don't have any issue starting him at, at any stage. I have um, no issue in making certain that Johnny Sexton doesn't rush back for a game just because it's a big game like this i think you have to have that level of trust i think it could happen i don't know that i'm banging the drum in the same fashion as you are but um i don't have any issue with that whatsoever i think he's good enough and i will say that i think um uh, joe schmidt has trusted him in big games he's trusted him to come off the bench as a as a child in chicago you know and and deliver and he did do it so um Look, I'm, as I said, I, I've been saying it from the very start. I was delighted when he went to Munster. Um, I, I like his reaction after, uh, after the shock of Castor. I think, I think he got a shock. He hadn't played those games. And that's why there is a bit of merit in your, in your argument. The difficulty in these things are there is an element of momentum. I don't know that you lose momentum, but that's always the fear that you don't start off on the right um, foot on the Six Nations and it doesn't work for you because you just want to win every single game on its own merits. But does that mean if we pick Joey that we don't win it? I don't see that either.
0: No. I, I, I'm, I'm interested in what your take is as somebody who obviously played in Six Nations and played in Six Nations in advance of World Cups. Given our recent success in the Six Nations, um, there must be a temptation for Schmidt to go and treat this differently from all the other Six Nations that he's ever been involved in, particularly because he knows the end is coming for him one way or another at the end of the World Cup, and, and see these two things not as separate competitions, but as the precursor to make sure that everything is ready to go come quarterfinal time, assuming we make it that far.
7: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure of that rationale, but what I am sure of is that in the last number of years we have blooded a lot of players, and he has not taken risks. And, of course, he has taken risks at different times. Um, I don't know that you need to uh, turn the Six Nations into something secondary to a World Cup. I don't believe that that should be the mindset of any player or any coach. Um, But I actually think the work that we've done in the last couple of years has given us an opportunity to pick different people at different times. I mean, it's anathema to me, the idea of not being picked on a 15 and being in a sub, that's changed totally. That's the way it was before. There is a recognition that you pick the best team to go out and win any game. That best team could have Joey, Car- Joey Carberry in it because Johnny Sexton isn't fully fit or whatever other reason or justification we want to say. I'm not as stressed with your idea um, as, I, as I have been in the past. I, I think the alternatives um, can still be good enough to win those matches.
0: Yeah, I, and I okay, I, I get that. Um, one of the things that we were talking about as well is that Ireland's style of rugby at the moment, um, again, stats from Andy Dunn during the week, whereas the number of rucks that we have in our game is almost twice as many as the next top-tier um, countries. It's it's natural, and he explained it to us, why do we hit so many rucks, why do we create so many rucks? We tend to look for contact and use that to set up a play. The yeah. New Zealanders don't look for contact to set up a play, they look for contact to have an offload, and so therefore they have far fewer rooks than us. It's quite attritional, it means that players do get injured, it means your back rows get shoulders and get broken arms and get all the injuries that we've seen our back rowers have, so you do need that strength and depth. A slight evolution in the Six Nations would be interesting, maybe 30 fewer rooks, still 30 more than everybody else, but just a fewer amount of collisions that we're asking our players to get through, because in the context of a six, seven week tournament, that will have and will eventually take its toll?
7: Look, every team has injuries. Actually, if we look at our squad at the present moment in time, we uh, we balance that. The style in which we play is probably a, a style that suits us a lot. And the offloading game does not suit us quite as much. And I would al- also say be very careful what you wish for at times because an awful lot of the offloading games lead to shoulder injuries because when you fall, you fall with an exposed arm. So that can happen in that fact. So you just never quite know. You can't put one exactly to the other. I do think we play quite an attritional game. Um, And you would like to look for a bit of space more often. Um, But I think it's a management of exactly what we have and who we have. I mean, I'm I'm not saying I'm bowing at the altar of Joe, but uh, his past performance has shown that um, he is able to get the results. Uh, He has learned a lot from that World Cup in 2015. I, I don't think it's just us watching from afar that have bemoaned the fact that we would five or six guys down when we needed them on that big game. Um, and I think an awful lot of that has changed quite radically since. So from what I've seen from, from Ireland in the last number of years, we rarely go through a seismic shift. But we do go through... Um, really good, attentive changes that make Ireland a better team over a period of time. They're subtle, but they change on a little road. So I actually think we'll see changes through the Six Nations, absolutely, but I don't think we'll ever see it all happen in one fell swoop.
0: Yeah, because it would be really nice to see Andrew Porter play a big game and start a big game. It would be really nice to see Ty Byrne start in the second row and show exactly what he can do, because over the course of a World Cup, we will need those players in key, in key moments in big games, and... This is our literally our last chance because those World Cup warm ups are just about getting fitness and getting your eye in. There's no there's no intensity to any of those as we've always seen traditionally.
7: Yeah, I, I still when I look at, at, at Porter, if I look at Tyger Furlong, Porter and John Ryan, um if we get an injury to one of those, now I'm really I'm not happy to anybody getting injured, but I'm happy with what we have that that can share the load afterwards. You know, and it's if we suddenly get two or three of them, where are we? But that's why there's a, there was an aim check in that twenty-seven group yesterday from from uh, Joe Schmidt. There are enough of people to fit back in at the end of that, so I don't worry about that quite as much. I do worry in other positions, but um, the more game time they get, you see, one of the other elements. Like I, I'm trying to get over my own natural, um, uh, like I'm retired a long time now, right? So when we when we played, it was. You always want to be picked. Yes, it was about the team. Of course it was. But whatever it was, be it an overly macho view in it or, or whatever, the team now is 30-odd. It's not 15. That's a, that's a fairly huge change within it. So if you're asking to say what happens if Andrew Porter has to start to test, well, from what he's actually done in the last period of time, I believe he'd be fine. Yeah, And if he gets to 50 minutes, fantastic. You have John Ryan to do it and vice versa. Like, And you keep seeing an awful lot of the selection at the, at the present moment in time. There's been a drift away from, it is important who starts, but there's a drift away from the first starter. There is a really big drive towards who's the guy with the discipline for the last 30 minutes to close out the game. That has been some of the change that we've seen since 2015.
1: Keith, I did want to get your take on Munster Champions Cup against Exeter in the last round of the pool matches this weekend. Uh, What's your take been on them the last couple of weeks? There has been some suggestions, some comparisons even between this team and the 2008 team. Are we getting ahead of ourselves a little bit? Uh,
7: Absolutely. Um, We have the great capacity of losing the run of ourselves as Irish people. When somebody (laughs) kicks one goal kick, he's a uh, world-class goal kicker, but um, uh, Munster played very well. I thought Gloucester were poor last week, but it detracted nothing from Munster and the manner in which they played. Um, uh, I thought it was hard, aggressive, um, um, not as well-disciplined as they would like. There's a lot to work on for that. They gave double-digit penalties, which they hate. Um, uh, I thought Joey Carberry was fantastic. I, I, all I want to see at the present moment in time is Chris Farrell get a run of games at centre. Uh, I want to see him play. I, he, he just... He's just different, and when we're looking at things for Ireland or for Munster, different is great, but he gets over the gain line. Uh, he is a bit of a bully with the ball in hand, which is which is a great thing to have. Um, he hasn't even shown some of the subtlety of which he's incredibly capable of. So Munster looked like a better um, balanced team when he plays in it. So um, I just wanted to see him play for a while, and I just thought Joey was – was excellent and I also thought Conor Murray um, had gone back to um, a much higher level It's he was out for a long time with a bad injury and it's taken him a bit of time to get back into it but he showed uh, last weekend, yeah, you know what, he's he's fully back up and Munster just looked be- uh, did a better structure but then you go to this weekend and it's going to be bloody freezing Thoman Park and and um, uh, Exeter were you know have been so up and down this year for a team that is the most consistent team and they really struggled for three or four weeks, they got back to their right winning ways with Noel playing 15, um, suddenly they were um, they'd mixed it up a bit more than they had to, they'd gone under pressure they'd gone very conservative, what a lot of teams do, um, they expanded that last weekend and they looked an awful lot better for it, so I, they are a team that could do monster damage in Thorman Park.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a proper uh, end of season humdinger, and lots on the line for that one. Um, I did want to get your thoughts on on how to so the England. Um, team is our squad is going to be named ahead of the game against Ireland. They have some injury worries but even when you kind of take into account the injury worries they have I'm looking at a list of um, available backs for them. Uh, Mike Brown is pushing hard for a recall. It says Elliot Daly, Jack Nowell Johnny May, Chris Ashton, Henry Slade Ben Teo, Tuilagi, and Alex Lazowski are the uh, backs that they have just for the back three in centres. That's not bad.
7: Now England are, are rarely if ever bad And one of the things uh, about them is, and I'd often go between the Irish and the English psyche, Um, we're getting to a level where we can deal with confidence fairly well, and it's by by proving it for every second of the game afterwards. England have an inherent confidence, arrogance, we would always say when we're trying to point fingers at them or slide them off. Um, But it's an arrogance that I often think... It makes them have a couple of hiccups along the line. But when things aren't going their way, it pushes them up a further level than other teams. They have an ability to... They still expect to win, irrespective of what's happening. And they are hurt by what happened last year. And they're gunning for us. So I do think they have injuries. I do think they have players back. Um, Manitoulaghi is of colossal importance uh, to England, only because... Right, he's a fine player and he's very powerful and he's a really good ball carrier. He gets over the game line. He knows where the line is. Um, but also, there's an expectation that other players play incredibly well around him and off him. Mm. And they've missed him for a while. So they've missed him and they've missed uh, Billy vanapola And um, those players do an awful lot for them and it just makes them even just for the want of two or three players England can suddenly get back to a level of confidence might take other countries a period of time they don't have to bypass they bypass all of that they just go straight into full confidence mode
1: yeah that, that arrogance must be fairly frustrating to come up against when they're in their pomp
7: yeah thanks uh, for reminding me of that and I did for a lot of it in their pomp and um, and it's funny because it's an arrogance on it, it it's kind of like a, a sense of arrogance and a lot of the players aren't arrogant it's an unusual uh, it's an unusual element so for a lot of those guys i only beat them i think we only beat england once in in my time um a lot of that has changed now and it's very hard to be arrogant when you've been beaten a lot
1: yeah i'm yep. sure Go on. well there is still some sort of I guess it goes back to your previous answer, Keith. There is kind of a, a sense that they should be arrogant, that if they can find that arrogance again, it's going to be hugely positive for the outcome of this team. And maybe it is results against Ireland that they need. It does seem, kind of going back to what you said, that it is just one spark as all this English team needs to kind of get back to that level of superiority. And that complex feeds into further success, you'd imagine.
7: Well, I think if I, if I go back, they won the World Cup in 2003. In 2007, they were in absolute shambles and got to the final. Hmm. You know, we haven't got past the quarterfinals. So there's, there are elements of uh, this look at the draw, there's a whole variety of different things, but they still expect to go and win all the time. That hasn't necessarily been a very comfortable Irish psyche. Now we're trying to get to it, but we're trying to get to it without losing the run of ourselves. You know, that's the, the we, we win a game in Gloucester. Um, and because Gloucester sits into the Munster history annals for all those kind of mad wins and the miracle match, that because of that game, we are now automatically at the level where we've been with the teams that won in 06 or 08. So it's, it's not the same.
0: Good stuff, Keith. Thanks for joining us this morning. Cheers. Che- cheers, gents. It's, uh, Keith Wood with us this morning, giving us some perspective ahead of Ireland against England.
1: Are, you worried? are you worried? What's a more dangerous threat to humanity, corkness or English arrogance? It's mad how similar they are, isn't it? It is. It really is. <laughs> uh, they're the exact same
0: thing. Um, I, I, I was kind of thinking that um, Cork is the only post-colonial superiority complex in the world that I know of. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were colonized, but we're better than you. Yeah, that's, uh, it's quite true. Uh, well, a lot of Yanks as well. Um, yeah,
0: maybe. That's a bit different. C- certain parts of America. They're also imperial yeah maybe Cork class imperial well maybe not maybe they've taken over Ireland uh, right let's move on we're going to go and bring you da, 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 I've just deleted what we were going to bring you so it's Damien, uh, Damien Delaney from last night uh, talking is, is this the Roma piece the lads were asking about Roma no it's not the Roma piece it's, uh, he was on the show last night and uh, here's the clip
4: I want to ask you about uh, Palace and yeah. one game actually in particular because it's a game I was commentating on and stands out above any other really of the last five, six years was the night of the 3-3 draw with oh, Liverpool yeah. and yeah. I for all the games I've ever been to I do not remember an atmosphere quite like Selhurst Park mm. that night when mm. you were 3-0 down and Remember Liverpool had just been beaten by Chelsea the week before yeah. And they needed yeah. If they'd won that game 8 or 9-0 They could have closed the goal difference gap in City Nobody thought it would happen yeah. And they found themselves 3-0 up earlier And they could have actually found themselves 7 or 8-0 up You kept it at 3-0 And you yeah. scored this brilliant goal with 12 minutes left And you scored 3 yeah. goals in the space of 9 minutes yeah. 3 all. Steven Gerrard, Luis Suarez are in tears And the yeah. place was literally hopping The ground was, yeah. was shaking underneath
8: us What's your memory of that night? Um, you just, what you said there, really, you know, I mean, the first 78 minutes was an absolute catastrophe, like, you know, we couldn't do anything right, and, um, I remember Tony, it was the first time Tony Pulis really, you know, showed his teeth uh, at us at half-time, you know, we were, we were well safe by then, you know, I think we were guaranteed top half as well, I think we were ninth or tenth at the time, and, um, I think maybe the first 78 minutes we played a little bit like that, um, but the players that we had there at the time, their, their attitudes and their, their kind of just willingness just to keep going in the face of anything. That's what we kind of had. And obviously when that goal went in, it just kind of, and the crowd then was just, you know, fantastic. Cause you know, 3 0 at home it was quite easy for some people to head off. It was a Monday mm. night game. Getting away from Selhurst isn't the easiest thing in the world. A lot of people could have, might have made their way away, you know, but they didn't. They stayed and the drums were still going and it was such a party atmosphere, even though we were losing 3-0. And then obviously when that goal goes in, and then Gailey got two, so I mean it was it was a fantastic night, and it's definitely um, it's definitely one that I'll uh, I'll remember for for the rest of my life, really.
0: Yeah, all right. Uh, you can get more of that good stuff on the Football Show podcast from last night. And uh, now Darren's here.
9: Morning, Jerry. We'll start with the golf. And Shane Larry is hoping to build on a stunning start at the Abu Dhabi Championship. The offley Man says a peaceful Christmas break and his best-ever preseason helped record his best-ever round as a pro. Larry carded a 10-under par course record, equaling round of 62 to open. That handed him a three-shot advantage at the top of the leaderboard yesterday. He's since now been joined on 10-under by Lee Westwood. And Larry is just teeing off. He's at parred at the first hole there, so he remains on 10-under. Derby County came from two goals down last night for the second time against Southampton the championship side managed to force a 2-2 draw and penalties before winning the shootout 5-3 to book their place in the fourth round of the FA Cup Republic of Ireland International Richard Keough was the Derby hero the captain scored the winning penalty to set up a tie with League One side Accrington Stanley Damien Duff has a word of warning for his new Celtic players, you must be prepared to do anything to make it at the game, including running over your granny. The Ireland legend was speaking after being named as reserve coach of the Scottish Giants. Duff believes modern players are not working hard enough to realise their dreams and he wants to help them change that.
5: I feel like I'm learning the game all over again, I mean, you stand on a touchline is totally different, totally different uh, viewpoint, so I'm only a baby, I'm a year and a half, two years in, so yeah it's a massive role but I'm going to embrace it. Um, and even away from the pitch, just getting into the lads' heads what it takes to be a footballer. And I think across the boards, not Celtic, but in in England, Ireland, Scotland, lads just just do enough, and they think just doing enough is going to get you to be a footballer. But it's not. You have to do more than enough every day, and and empty the tank. And you know, I would It's just that obsession. I would have done anything when I was a kid, 16, to be a footballer. It's I'd have run over my granny, you know, Um, but that's what it is, it's being that mongrel and uh, said away from the pitch, teaching them that, Um, on the pitch, I said I'm learning but I'll help them all I can out there, I'm on them 24-7, out there I'm full on, I'm passionate, I'm emotional, Um, so once they realise it's not me just being a pain, it's just because I I care and I want to help.
1: Imagine that a scout comes to say, "Right, we've uh, picked you. You're coming to join the Manchester City Academy." First things first, teach your grandmother.
9: <laughs> it's great though because I didn't realise. Is that like an, a football phrase? "Kill your granny." Well,
0: John Giles. John used Giles used yeah. it.
9: Like, yeah. would he kill his granny? That's the metric of the the strength of the character. And Duff used it there. I wasn't familiar with it until I noticed most, both. Most of them grannies,
0: too, like most young people, are like quite old. Have lived a good life, had good innings. <clears throat> you know. Are good for, in fairness, presence slash money fairly regularly. So there's, you're losing a little bit on that. But if the worthy trade-off, I mean, I'm getting a contract.
9: So it's an actual like. Is it an actual saying? Have I just missed this entire saying my whole life and have just been blessed with it when I hear Giles and Duff use it now?
0: Um, unless Duff got it from Giles, I would presume. I it's hard, hard to know. Yeah, I've heard. It as about he said it in such a way as like it's you know. It's so matter
9: of fact, though, he's yeah. like, would he kill his granny? I don't think he would, so I don't think he's a great player. And Duff said it in a way that uh, would make you believe that he's the perfect man for guiding the The young first time players. I would have
0: heard Jazzy use it would have had himself as well, the way Duff just used it. Really? Yeah.
9: So maybe it is a, a well-known expression. Duff's press conference was really interesting. He was asked about Celtic. He said Irish people have it in their blood. He said every Irish person wants to be involved in some way with Celtic. No one teaches you about Celtic. You just learned to love it Um, and he also mentioned his own experiences with Celtic he was asked have you been to see Celtic he said yeah I've never been sober so I look forward to seeing it uh, with clear eyes we'll get the highlights of Damien Duff's press conference up across OffTheBall.com later today now Killian Brennan has called time on his glittering League of Ireland career the Drogheda native began with the football equivalent of the Celtic Tiger making 16 appearances for Dublin City in 2003 before they went defunct he went on to play with Derry City Bowes and Shamrock Rovers as well as Drogheda and St. Pat's the midfielder has won three. three league winners' medals. He won the FAI Cup three times, the League Cup five times and was the player of the year in 2013. Brennan called time on his career on Facebook saying, like to announce my retirement from the League of Ireland. Had the pleasure of meeting some great people along the way. I'll very much miss the buzz of a Friday night. Peace out, killers. Dublin could be stripped of home advantage in the Super 8s next year. Gall will table a motion before Congress next month calling for no county to be allowed to designate Crow Park as a home venue in the Super 8s. The Ulster side who were beaten by Dublin in the opening round bemoaned Crow Park being designated a neutral venue as well as being used as Dublin's home venue for the game against Roscommon. The CCCC though never designated the first round as a neutral venue. Those games were always fixed as the Crow Park round. The wording of the original motion which passed 76- 24 stated that each team will play one home match, one match away and one match at Croke Park. The Donegal chairman Michael McGrath told the Irish Independent, we haven't mentioned Dublin in the motion, we're just calling for no county to be allowed to nominate Croke Park as a home venue. We think that's fair to everybody. If the Donegal motion is passed by Congress and Dublin reach the Super 8's, they'll either have to play their home game in Parnell Park with a capacity of 9,500 people or at a bigger venue outside the county. Last year in the Super 8's, Dublin attracted 33,000 People to watch them beat Ross Common, while the game against Donegal, also in Crow Park in the Super Eight, was attended by fifty-three thousand people. Joe Schmidt has named a 38-man squad for the first two rounds of the Six Nations. Among them, three uncapped players, all coming from Connacht. Centre Tom Farrell, out half Jack Carty and scrum half Caelan Blade all get the nod. Carty's inclusion comes at the expense of Ross Byrne. There's no Dan Levy either, but Joe Schmidt says the Leinster flanker will likely return when fully fit. While well, the Ireland women's head coach Adam Griggs has named eight uncapped players in his 29-man squad for Sunday's Six Nations warm-up game with Wales. Leinster trio Hannah O'Connell, Linda Dujang and Alva Dowling get the nod. Also earning first calls are Ulster duo Catherine Dane and Claire Bowles. Completing the new faces are Munster's Enya Breen and Claire Keown, while Connacht's Anne Marie O'Hara has also made the cut. Ireland begin their Six Nations campaign against England at Donnybrook on the 1st of February. While well, in tennis, Smilos Ronic secured a spot in the next round of the Australian Open this morning with a brilliant 6 7 7 6 7 6 7 6 victory against Dan Vavrinka. It was one of the best matches so far of the opening round, and the Canadian served his way out of danger. Also in action today, Serena and Venus Williams aiming to reach the third round
0: alright good stuff Darren thanks very much for that now um, Newell's old boys uh, were also tweeting last night about now you know why we named the stadium after their stadium is the Estadio Marcelo a Bielsa and I'm delighted to say Tim Vickery is on the line to tell us about uh, the man who seemed to win football yesterday with his press conference at Leeds United Um, Tim uh, a bushfire swept the internet yesterday afternoon suggesting that Bielsa (laughs) was about to step away as the manager of Leeds United after the Spygate controversy. Uh, and in fact, nothing could be further from the truth. He just opened his books and decided, yeah, of course I've been spying, I've been watching everything, because I am the all-seeing, all-knowing man of football.
6: Indeed, yeah. Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa probably would kill his granny, but he'd do it very surgically, and he'd enjoy apologising for it afterwards. Uh, he is, I mean, I, I've told this story so many times before, so please, please, Please don't stop me if you've heard this one before. Um, but I would like to tell you about the first time that I encountered him uh, 20 years ago now. He was coach of Argentina at the time. It was the, the 1999 Copa America. Uh, his side had just lost 3-0 to Colombia. He'd watched his centre-forward miss three penalties. And he himself, Bielsa, had been sent off. Uh, and uh, the first question in the press conference, Marcelo, what did you make of the refereeing? And he just stares at this, you know, a, a he doesn't make eye contact with anyone, just staring in, into space. And he said, um, "Well, one doesn't have the habit of commenting on the uh, the activities of the match day officials, uh, but uh, what I will say is that in respect of my expulsion." The referee was entirely correct because I protested in an ill-mannered form. And I'm thinking, bring it on. Let's have some more of this. Uh, and uh, exactly as you said, you know, when the, the press conference was announced yesterday, my heart's in my mouth thinking he's, he's going to walk. He's going to walk. I was worried as soon as Leeds issued that uh, that statement saying that they had to remind him of the club's integrity and, and honesty, I thought, well, he he may walk you know he's got a track record of doing that instead of which he gave us a masterclass and i think his professional pride had been wounded by these accusations so there were two points that he that he wanted to respond to one the idea that uh, that he uh, he had been cheating um and as he says i mean this is not against the letter of the law, uh, he will now, I think, accept that it may be against the spirit of the law as it's interpreted in England, and I think he, uh, he may decease in, in these spying activities now. But also he wanted to especially address the point that sending these the, the, these little last-minute spies was the factor that was helping wi- him win football matches. I think his professional pride was really stung, stung by that. So what he was going to do, he was going to show you, he, you were going to get a glimpse into the mind and the match day preparations of Marcelo Bielsa and what a masterclass he gave you. And you, you, you really see there that this isn't a profession for the mentally sane, is it? I mean, the, the, the hours and hours and hours of preparation that go in. You wonder after every after their all of their tactics and their variations were surgically explained, you wonder if Derby County now regret the bleating and the moaning that they did after it. You know, so uh, Bielsa has come out making his points, showing us exactly the hard work that goes on behind the scenes all of the insane levels of preparation i remember him once when he was still in argentina um, saying to a player there uh, a player asked him don't you ever sleep and bielsa said while you're sleeping i'm thinking of ways for the team to win that's marcelo bielsa and what an asset he is to english football
1: yeah, like I, I did wonder, and I, I guess the answer to this question is no, Tim, because you've obviously heard things about Marcelo Bielsa in, in previous iterations, about him being this freak of detail, being on an, an attention level that is above more most other managers in the world. So this mustn't have come as any big surprise to you yesterday when he opened to what was to us really a Pandora's box of evidence.
6: No, uh, I've, uh, I've, I've been rubbing my hands with glee ever since he came to England because I've been thinking, oh it's so different from the old days when the uh, the substance of the team talk was, uh, well that's their side, we're better go out and beat them, you know I, mean, uh, I think uh, the baseline is Bielsa probably believes that, but he's going to give his team every bit of information, and he watches video after video after video, he seems to have six eyes because he can watch three games at the same time and draw rational and intelligent conclusions about them, he is a one-off and he's not really a product specifically of argentine football culture he's a product of marcelo bielsa and he's from uh, a a very distinguished family in the city of of rosario very distinguished family of lawyers i mean his uh, his brother was a was an extremely uh, um, prominent politician and he was something of the black sheep of the family going into football Um, and uh, but he he went into it with everything and once he he saw that he wasn't going to make the grade as a player he, he chucked that up and went into coaching and he has given that Everything and he, he hasn't won, as, as he himself would be the first to point out, and he almost enjoys pointing out, he hasn't won that many titles. But few coaches in world football are, are as influential as Marcelo Bielsa. He is the career who has launched a thousand careers.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. We've, we've kind of seen that. There has been a massive outcry, though, from English football, which seems not to really tally with their own core values. The whole sense that um, actually,
1: perhaps. English football has had its own blind spot about this, in a way. Yeah, it it, it definitely seems that way, doesn't it? I think, as uh, Tim mentions there, I think Derby County look a little bit foolish now, do they? I don't think they expected this sort of response. And I see Martin Keown complaining as well in the newspapers this morning that we should be upholding ourselves to higher values. He who screams in the face of Ruud van Nistelrooy after missing a penalty. There is kind of an irony here, Tim, isn't there? Uh, Snobbishness almost from the protectors of English football.
6: Yeah, well, uh, I am English and I've spent the last few days laughing at Morecambe and Wires and listening to madness. You can't get much more English than that. But, you know, 25 <laughs> years on the other side of the Atlantic have given me a little bit of a perspective. And I think maybe uh, there, are, there are two great gifts that England has given to the world. One is football and two is hypocrisy. <laughs> uh, and uh, both of them come together with the Marcelo Bielsa story. Yeah, it's amazing.
0: Um, like, one of the things that strikes me now is just how successful he's been and how quickly he's been successful in English football, that it was... It's weird, and it's, it's, um, I guess it's a knock-on English football. Nobody has thought to get this guy involved up to this point.
6: Yeah, perhaps, although the big test is coming. Um, Bielsa's uh, few league titles, when they came in Argentina, when Argentina was playing the very short season, uh, just, just uh, the teams playing each other once, 19 games, Uh, In his uh, previous times in Europe, because it's a very, very intense method of play, really intense. You've got to run. You know, if you're going to press the opposition in their half of the field, it's a physically exhausting uh, uh, type of football. Uh, And we've seen both with uh, Bilbao and with Marseille that the side started very, very well. But really, physically, they ran out of steam in the business end of the season. So uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to judge Bielsa's work with Leeds from kind of mid-February on, you know, business end of the season, when you really need the points, how much will his, his Leeds team still have in the tank? And I think we need to defer judgment until then, because that's always been his stumbling block in Europe. Let's see if he falls over that one one more time.
1: It's it's interesting, kind of listening to that the, about the high octane level that uh, Bielsa goes to, because you say he's a product of himself rather than being a product of any sort of environment mm-hmm. he's been in. But at the same time, that high octane type of management is exactly what is popular at the moment? Is it exactly what is successful at the moment? If you look at the top of the Premier League, you look at Pep Guardiola, you look at Jurgen Klopp, you look at Unai Emery almost kicking every single ball for that Arsenal team. So there are similarities between Bielsa on kind of a superficial level, I guess, and the rest of the footballing world right now and what is on vogue.
6: Yeah, very much so. And, uh, and he was, uh, Bielsa was one of the very few people who Guardiola consulted before launching his, his own um, career. Um, there's, uh, there's quite a lot of Holland uh, the whole, the, the old Holland 74 in, in, in what, what Bielsa does. Uh, Sampaoli tried it. Um, it was disastrous for Argentina in the last World Cup, but it's been successful for the Chilean national team and for Sevilla. Uh, Sampaioli is a a self-confessed Bielsa disciple. He once wrote, before they'd even met, he once wrote to Bielsa apologising for having been unable to put his idea uh, into practice in a satisfactory manner with one of his early clubs. Um, So this is a school of football uh, which uh, has has, uh, its devotees in, in the, the, the top echelons of the world game, and it seldom makes for a dull match because uh, Bielsa's sides, they set out to impose themselves on the game. They will give the other side the opportunity to play on the counter-attack. Um, so when it comes unstuck, it can come very badly unstuck, but it doesn't mean that there are too many cautious nil-nil draws because his sides set out to strangle you in your own half of the field and really impose themselves on the match.
0: Tim, I just wanted to ask you a quick question about uh, Gonzalo Higuain before we let you go here. What's the standing of Higuain at the moment? Um, Is he anywhere near as good as he has been in the past? Is there a possibility that he has some kind of late flowering in his career and that a move is exactly what he needs to regain some of the form that made him one of the best strikers in Europe for a period there?
6: Well, On on the plus side, uh, he would seem to be the type of player that Chelsea need. And the coach knows him very well from uh, from working together. On the negative side, you'd, you'd worry about his age going into the Premier League at this stage in his career. Uh, and uh, he, is a, he is a player who sometimes, you know, he, he looks so sluggish. He looks like he's pulling a tractor behind him. Uh, and uh, a tendency perhaps to put on a little bit too much weight. So uh, I'm, I'm a little bit doubtful about whether he can be a, a, a consistent goal scorer at this stage in his career in the Premiership. I'm perhaps more interested in Chelsea's uh, attempts to sign Leandro Paredes, another Argentine from Zenit in Russia, because uh, he would he would be an interesting backup, I think, to Jorginho, a kind of midfielder with a lovely range of passing who can dictate play from deep. OK, good stuff. Thanks
0: very much for joining us this morning. It looks like it's um, a nice sunny summer's morning in Rio.
6: Yeah, the long hot summer's not passing me by. You you, you get me up uh, up and out of bed very, very early so I can enjoy this wonderful sunshine.
0: Very good, good stuff. Thanks a million for joining us, Tim. Thank you, my pleasure. Tim Vickery online from uh, Rio, apparently 26 degrees. I was beginning to feel guilty for uh, getting him
1: up out of bed so early. No longer do I feel guilty. Yeah, because at least it
0: was sunny. Uh, I was a bit concerned that it might be darkness there as well because it's supposed to be the middle of the night, but um, they're actually only two
1: hours behind us now. Happy days, I did not know that. Ignorance is bliss, Um, and ignorance is not something, nice segue here, that uh, Marcelo Bielsa seems to deal with. That was quite interesting. It's the uniqueness that he's uh, brought to football and that seems to have been inspired within Bielsa somewhere. It's kind of hard to actually pinpoint who exactly he was inspired by, but uh, it definitely seems that he fits in with... Uh, modern football quite well. He's in the right place at the right time without being influenced by his contemporaries too much, I think it's fair to say. If you
0: were the owner of a mid-ranking Premier League team, do you offer him there's double your
1: wages? Thanks very much, let's go. If you're Everton, let's go. I think so. I think this is really... It's going to do good things for the stock of Bielsa in the United Kingdom. I really think it is. Uh, I, like Obviously, they're on course to get promotion lasting the course in the, in the championship is tough for any team but a team with this amount of intense level of uh, uh, kind of scrutiny is going to be even tougher again so do they last the course?
0: Should they have made him the Arsenal manager in retrospect?
1: I think that would have been a massive gamble
0: I, I think Why though? Like what, you know he's been around the world he's like managed teams that have been very respected never had the, the right resources to implement with good players his strategy Yeah Maybe he's just a little bit difficult to deal with. There must be something there that has prevented...
1: There must have been and I can't, ima- the I can't imagine they English, looked at I Unai Emery and said he, he's uh, exactly the easiest man to deal with but certainly a bit more pleasant it seems than Bielsa also as well he's managed in the Champions League he's won three consecutive Europa League titles which is the European competition that Arsenal are in he's worked with you know egotistical talents at Paris Saint-Germain he he was a far better like hindsight is such an easy thing to, to utilise but look, at the time Unai Emery was a far superior I don't, I don't think Emery's been bad so far I think that like he. He's- He's got Arsenal at the level they're at.
0: They just need to invest a little bit and fix the problems, but at least somebody's diagnosing those problems for us. Um, So Shane Larry's out on the course, uh, par the first. The par five second thing's not going to plan. He's got an up and down try and save par um, on that one. So he was still in a share at 10 under of the lead alongside... Uh, Lee Westwood and we'll get back to that in uh, just a minute for you but here's a taster from our special show around the launch of Comortus Pella Pau O'Shea uh, earlier on this week Kieran Donaghy Michal Moore Hartig Eileen Lawler and Billy Keane were among the guests Donaghy confirmed his aspirations to get into GA coaching have a look
5: I only ask basketball or football I'd be kind of I'd be always trying to pick out things trying to improve Mm. us I'd rarely look at you know I always did my own thing but I'd always be trying to figure out how can we how can we work better as a forward unit talk to the managers Yeah. and I was always lucky enough that I had great relationships with all my managers that I could go to them with stuff and sometimes don't worry they They'd laugh me off with some of my suggestions, but sometimes they, they might take them on
0: board.
1: I only ask because in Billy Keane we have an All Ireland winning assistant manager who might
6: be available yeah, yeah. to come on
0: board with Bring you. Bring him in. Yeah. And psychologists. And uh, psychologists, and yeah. Psychologist. Yeah. Yeah. A Two for one. You're <laughs> not to forget me now. I, know. No, I mean, <laughs> all trained the team in Dublin for years. Did you know that? Yes, yeah, famously. Yeah. What, what um, years did you train the Kerry team? 80s, wasn't it?
7: Oh, I started it in the 50s, unofficially. And I finished up. I think it was around uh, 1989 when Pardy and those left the scene that wonderful team I decided I wouldn't train anymore I had some of the best players that ever played and we had great fun and you know the last thing every night in training I used to bring a golf club with me a nine iron we'd place it on the white line at the corner flag you had to be within a certain distance of the line To be the winner, twasn't the longest always, twas which one would be a certain
6: distance but nearest to the
7: line.
0: Sounds like they had crack. We're the best footballers that's ever ever lived. We're living in Dublin. We don't have to do all that crappy training that Miko's making them do. No laps, Mihal, come on, no laps. You're not going to tell us, are you? We
1: we we did the last Mihal, and away you go, yeah. I somehow suspect that uh, Mihal and Marharcik the. The very kind and caring gentleman wasn't a bit of a hard ass on the training pitch. Sometimes, like to win all Ireland's and to maintain that level of fitness, I'd say he ran them to the ground. <laughs> I'd say he was probably worse than Nico. No way. And then he just come, kind of totters out of uh, wherever they were training. St Pat's, I think, in Drumcondra, and uh, just smiling away from himself, having put them through the ringer. And th- those cute anecdotes, kind of just try and show it as a, as a bit of crack. I'd say he ran them to the ground that stuff was great from um,
0: Tuesday night you can get all of that as well on our YouTube channel youtube.com forward slash off the ball now Stephen Doyle popped out to Croke Park yesterday for the launch of the Allianz Football League so he caught up with the Monaghan star Ryan Wiley and the Kerry forward Stephen O'Brien to get their thoughts on the experimental GAA rules that are being voted on this Saturday have a look
7: do you think the new rules are going to survive into the league
10: yeah I'm not sure no I didn't talk to a few lads there no it, it'd be five years of him like I didn't realise that that like whatever rules are impl- implemented is in there for five years so and yeah, um, I mean, yeah I, most of the rules are good now in fairness I'm not really sure about some of the, the hand pass rules just, it's just so, going to be so difficult for referees to, to referee when they're trying to you're trying to count the, st- the the steps of the player you can count has he hopped it twice you're trying to look inside to the inside far see if there's any dragging and then you're trying to, you might miss a hand pass there so um, yeah, and like I'm not sure the the, fun, the it's going to stop a good bit of a good few attacking moves as well. Mm. So no, it's like we're going to try to kick as much as we can anyway. And yeah. um, we don't need the rule to tell, it, to, to tell us that. But yeah, I'd, I'd rather that rule. But like the simple rule would be brilliant. Uh, stop kind of fouls at the end of the always, you know, towards the end of the game would be excellent, and it won't punish the player that does get a black card too much as well. I got one early against Munster final versus a City tackle off uh, from a short kick out. Um, and then was my day done, like, you know, so you're yeah. just, there's a long, so it maybe, uh, yeah, it'll hurt the team that you got on the 14, but, you know, the player at least maybe can get come back on,
7: so the important. Um, just to ask you finally then, if you, if there was one rule you could bring in yourself, what would it be to help maybe improve the game? Uh,
10: like, I think the game is in good, good health as it is, like, you know, obviously you want to tweak it the whole time, but... um yeah, like we were talking there I, I don't have too much thought of it Like, you know, basketball now probably Like they made the rules Like the, the shot clock Even something like that yeah. If you had a minute for an attack Maybe that stops the kind of possession At the end of the the I suppose that was what The hand pass was trying to look at So maybe, you know If you had a set time for an attack And there was a shot clock Or whatever, you had to work attack yeah. um, Or like They had the half court press as well I'm not sure how Is that feasible But something like that Maybe That will stop the A team kind of just Killing the game at the end By, by just with sterile Kind of possession but at the end of the day, if that team's right? It's their right because they're winning the game. They can do whatever they want. Um, it's so, you, yeah, it's important to go into the game or if you go into that period with the lead, you're going to try to protect it. So, uh, yeah, maybe that would be something to be thought of. I don't
7: know. I imagine a lot of the training this year has been based around the fact that the new rules have come
3: in. And has that
7: made training a little bit harder? Um, it's probably just
11: different getting, trying to get used to them and you know there's different rules there's five new rules there to get used to but um, just within training and stuff maybe it's helping us kick in the marks and helping us our first touch and stuff but it'll be interesting to see how what happens now this weekend whether they're going to come in or not but we haven't been ignorant to the fact and completely um, not used the rules so we're trying away with them
5: and hopefully it'll improve us
7: Do you think the rules will survive into the league? What's your
5: kind of feeling on it now?
11: Um, to be honest I, I i don't know what way the delegate is going to go but i only found out i didn't realise that to come in they're only in for a league and then not in for a championship so i find that a bit bizarre that if you're in for you so much in the league and then going to be scrapped then for the champion back i think that's probably the way thing are singing it all but um, i think just i think it's very tough in referees and it's going to leave it tough again and for the club referees to do it uh, on really job at the minute, and they don't probably get enough praise for it. And they have a tough enough job with it, so much to be taken care of, never mind counting now hand passes and marks and stuff. And was it 20 metres and stuff like this? So I think it's it'd be hard for them to come in, but I don't know what way are people are going to vote.
7: Yeah, do you think they should come in, or do, like is there any of the rules that you would look at and say, Look, we need to scrap that uh, and just maybe think of something different?
11: Sinbin is probably probably the best rule that, yeah. um, your game's not finished if you get a black card but it puts your team under a lot of pressure which is still it's still given you know you're your sacrificing or you're leaving your team with less players which is obviously going to to other teams advantage so other teams still getting an advantage if you're, if you're showing cynical play I thought that was a very good ro- rule but the other ones just I think it's just going to be too tough to implement and mm. I don't want you don't want well obviously next summer in the league you don't want to be players or you know going up or down visions probably more, you know what I mean. Just because maybe, I' just a bad decision by referee and a footballer can make bad, can make a bad call. It's just as well as a referee and you don't want yeah. headlines to be about a, bit, a bit bad decision. You want headlines to be about what sort of score it was, how good of a game it was. You don't want you know want that all over the papers and.
0: Yeah, interesting stuff there from the two lads. It's clear that they hadn't. Engage too much with that whole process of what the story is with these rules, how long they'll be in for, you know, um, because if these rules, if this vote happens, they'll be in for the league and that's it. There'll be a review at the end of that, not for five years, um, as Stephen O'Brien was saying. And True Wire was like, I didn't realise they were just in for the league and not the championship. I would have assumed that this is something that has been widely debated amongst the players but it turns out they are too busy with their lives training and playing football and getting on with stuff and uh, and that's that's interesting because you would have thought that maybe I don't know I don't know whose job that is is that the
1: GPA's job or is it actually the GAA's job? To want to inform the players? Like yeah. Okay. The one thing I think we can we can take from this is you're bang on there. They're it, GA players, especially into county players at the moment, are struggling to keep their head above water in terms of actually managing time to play for their county, uh, potentially play for their college, whatever it may be. Getting into uh, physical shape for the start of the national league, they're not consuming the discourse around this. They're not really looking too much into the rules. They'll probably think about it once it's actually decided whether or not it's going to be in for the national league. Which kind of comes back to this point: how much should say the GPA survey that's in the newspapers this morning? actually be considered when it comes to the Rules Committee this Saturday. Of course it should be listened to, but should it be a real consideration? 90% of inter-county players don't want this hand-pass rule implemented. But clearly there's a good percentage of people that don't really know what it's all about and I, I think we really do need to get to the other side of the National League and it makes the climb down from the Rules Committee all the more spectacular that they've actually changed their mind on this, that they decided to not implement it automatically for the National League and reconsider and have the vote before the National League. I think they should have stuck by their guns and had that vote afterwards. Yeah,
0: but presumably that's just, window dressing and this just- with rubber stamp this weekend, if it's
1: anything no, other than for, that. No, like, but reading Carlo again this morning, it, it does seem that there's a realistic possibility that this thing doesn't get through on Saturday. The whole thing? All of it? The hand-passing rule. Just the hand-pass? Yes. Okay, so everything else gets through. By the sounds of things, yeah. Like The, the hand-pass rule is the one thing here that it's the most likely to not get through. I think I think in general, the rest of them will probably... Were there, many, the were there many matches in the league where you would have
0: seen the defensive football that we saw
1: in that uh, slot heel game I don't think so well that's a spectacular example the, the slot game I think yeah but that's like I mean like for example I don't, I don't think um, league points for, are up for grabs Ooh,
0: things aren't going well for Shane Lowry uh, he's had a bogey uh, on the second hole so he's down to 9-under and we're just seeing him drop now beside a footpath this looks like it's on his third hole so
1: he's been wayward in the first three holes and that's not great the thing about the defensive football is I'd be fairly confident in saying that Carlo for example would have been more offensive when they got promoted from Division 4 than they would have been in that terrible Leinster semi-final against Leash Crow Croke Park last summer I would say I would say the defensive football of, say, in terms of a defensive system that was very solid from a Galway perspective last year in the Football League, that was worked on throughout the Football League and then was implemented in the Championship. Of course, they weren't overly defensive, but there was certainly more of an edge and more numbers in a mass defence than there was in previous years. So it's kind of a bit of both, really. It is the weaker teams that are implementing more defensively in the summer than they are in the league. And it comes back to this... The old chestnut that if uh, similar teams are playing similar standard matches against one another, then you over have a period of time football.
0: yeah well uh, oh, and it wouldn't be an overnight fix because there would be those teams who still are stuck in the training sessions that they've been doing for three or four years and they've decided that we're going our identity is going to be defensive, and those teams will have mid mid table mediocrity as their future forever. The teams who are like a bit more explosive and try and do stuff eventually they will rise to the top, their players will get better. Everybody will stick around. Ooh. Shane Lowry's not a good side, recovery shot from one side of the uh, fairway to the other. It's pin high, but it's um, in deep rough uh, on the left-hand side. So it's been a little bit of a ah start at uh, Abu Dhabi this morning for Shane Larry We'll keep an eye on that for you on Offball.com all day today. Did want to talk about the uh, the other part about the league. So we had somebody from Kerry, with somebody from Monaghan. Um, we didn't have somebody from Dublin at this launch. And we had nobody from Dublin at the launch of air sports coverage this week either. And that's unusual. I think um, somebody said it's the first time in 27 years that there's been a launch and there hasn't been somebody from the defending champs
1: uh, at the launch. Why not? Do we know why? That it didn't go? No. Oh. Um, are they keeping their cards close to their chest? Was it a decision that they're not going to be put in the spotlight on this of all years? In case, they do, in case they do what they do at every single media event and it is give away Jim Gavin's playbook. Yeah. They can't be trusted, those Dublin players, can they? Who would be the
0: Marcello Bielsa of... Um, well, Jim McGinnis is basically the Marcello Bielsa sending somebody up the tree down in and, and carry that time. But, like, current acting... Is there somebody trying to spy on the Dublin football training Yes. Hovering drones over?
1: Yes, definitely. Uh,
0: what, what would you learn? Dublin have loads of good footballers, strength and depth, move the ball quickly have a basketball formation, have starter plays, the kick out's important. What would you learn? Specifically that you need to know.
1: Yeah, it's true. Very little. Oh.
0: That they they've got they've got a young cornerback who's very good Howard's very
1: good. Maybe maybe Connolly's not in the team anymore because he said that Howard was good and that was like secret information that no one's supposed to know. Well, the reason why uh, Marcelo Bielsa spied on Derby County was to attain the first 11. He knew how they were going to set up. It's just helpful to get the personnel. So that's what you'd learn. Uh, is Keno Sullivan playing as a sweeper? Where is Kieran Kilkenny actually playing? Are they going to play two-man forward line, three-man forward line? What's going to happen here? So you definitely get those facts from watching a, a training session, but I think it's pretty clear how Dublin's set up at this point in terms of tactics. Why do you think they didn't put somebody forward for the launch? I don't know. Honestly, I, I, I really, I, they've got nothing to be afraid of. They've never once got bitten by a media event by, like on behalf of a player. Like sending a player forward has never bitten Dublin in the ass. I, I'm, like this current Dublin team, obviously... I'm struggling to think of one. Can you think of? Ah. I mean, the event where a Dublin player has actually said something that is a hostage to fortune. Yeah, like in terms of football, is remarkably interesting. Obviously, as individuals, when you get talking to them about themselves and their own careers and stuff they do outside of football, they are a remarkably interesting team. But when you get into the nuts and bolts of how did you win this game or what, what's your plan for this game, they are very well guarded, and that is totally understandable. You're not going to give away anything uh, that's not necessarily uh, that you shouldn't be giving away. So they're the best county in the country at not giving stuff away, and they seem to not want to go to an event.
0: Interesting comment piece on this from Mark Gallagher in the Mail this morning. He's got a few good lines about um, John Horan, the president of the GAA. Um, In his speech to launch the league, Horan did reference the struggle Gaelic Games has to make their presence felt in a crowded media marketplace. I'd like to thank the media. I think you play a crucial part in it all nothing irritates me more than to pick up the papers and see all the stuff coming in from overseas in terms of other sports or if you go on the internet and all the stories are there but we don't get in and then Mark Gallagher makes the point that um, John Horne wouldn't speak to the media yesterday oh my gosh Um, apparently he didn't want us to he didn't want to be seen to be intervening in the vote uh, on the new rules on Saturday even though Mark Gallagher points out that it's actually the GA president's job to he got elected on the basis of steering policy through, so, you know, he could come out and say something today which would help steer that vote at the weekend, uh, but he declined to do that. He, apparently he might be available next week um, to talk about it. They did say, look, we just want to talk to you about the league, and he, he declined that opportunity. So, he, um, in his term of office, Horne has done little to increase GAA's presence in the sports pages, says Mark Gallagher. His dealings with the media have been limited. He spoke to the press last September at the launch of the ESRI GPA report on demands on county players back in July when the All-Ireland Championships were launched on the Aran Islands, but that briefing only came about after pressure from journalists who had travelled across to Inishmore. So, um, so, no Dublin representative and um, the president uh, of the GA not speaking to the media yesterday either, which is interesting. I mean, I'd say if you're Allianz, you're a bit pissed off about this. It's like, get out there and talk, lads. I want someone from Dublin up there, maybe... Maybe AIG are the sponsors of the Dublin footballers, and Allianz
1: are a rival. No, no, they've cleared that up. Have they? They've cleared that up. It's not. It's not a sponsor call from Dublin. That's uh, where did I read that this morning? It's that, That's definitely on the records. What's it's, on the record? That uh, it was not uh, a call from Dublin sponsors. No, but Dublin could do it as a favour to their sponsors. That, that that works two ways. Honestly, that works. Yeah, two Yeah, maybe, ways, maybe, right? maybe. So
0: I don't have to ring up. I don't have to ring up a fund sponsor and say, "Here, don't go to that." But if, I'm, if I sign a deal with a big company that's, like, worth millions, I know I'm not going to thumb it in their faces.
1: Yeah. Um. There's, a, there's a
0: way that that happens that isn't a formal request because, obviously, that's not how things work. No one's going to send an email, here, what are you doing? Don't be going to that launch.
1: Yeah, it's, it's true. Like, obviously, the, the reaction would be, well... But they didn't go to the air launch either. That doesn't make any sense. No, that, that's the thing. The the thing here would be like, oh, poor media complaining about the lack of access, etc., etc., etc. But I, I don't care. It's just complaining about the lack of... We're not Gea complaining. No, just no, 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 like I'm not like talking about... You. From a GEA perspective, if you work for the GEA, and on the very day that the league champions aren't showing up, that you're complaining about the lack of GEA coverage... Just seemed, seems a tad ill timed, and maybe maybe he was unaware that there was no Dublin players there, and maybe the, the timing of that game. I, I don't. I wasn't there. I don't want to. I don't want to completely. Ah, he must uh, have known who was showing up.
5: Of course, he, he should. Have, yeah. I'm sure. He yeah, did. but I
1: think I'm, I'm. pretty sure these things happen. He gives a speech at the front of the room.
0: The assembled players are beside him, and then the players break up and do their interviews, like we just saw with Stephen. But like, obviously, if the best team in the country send a representative, there's going to be more coverage because somebody will say something that is like, yeah, we, you know, we're obviously not talking about the five in a row or we are talking about the five in a row and that just generates talking points and that leads to coverage and that's why you get more coverage. But in the meantime, um, I don't know, I, the number
1: of GA stories in the back of the paper. Like the, just to read out, just when you asked me to be clear, when I said it was on the record, I actually just want to read out the passage that I was reading earlier on because I found it here. Carlo Kane uh, saying, It is believed the decision was made by the Dublin management, although their reasons are unclear and a request for an interview wasn't returned. However, there is speculation that it is part of a media strategy aimed at keeping the Dublin players under the radar as hype around the five-in-a-row Bills. What is certain is that Dublin's decision not to send a player to yesterday's Allianz League launch at Croke Park has nothing to do with fellow insurance company AIG being the dub's main sponsor. AIG's stance on the issue is that they would be happy to see their logo on a Dublin jersey all over media coverage of the launch of a rival company. So I think that clears that one up. Also fair enough, yeah. Alright, so the other thing that was obviously that we
0: needed to talk about was whether or not the uh, dubs are going to play in Croker for two of the Super 8 games and um, the notion that uh, that was fair because that wasn't their home ground and so they have to to play their neutral game in Croke Park and they have to play their their home game in Croke Park and their uh,
1: neutral game in Croke Park and it's just their home, you know, Parnell Park is their home ground. What's your problem? Mm. We, we were under a bit of time pressure there so we couldn't chat to Darren about it afterwards You, you would, I'd like to hear his thoughts because there was a, a sort of editorialising of the tone saying that there was 50,000 people at one of Dublin's Super 8 games so, which suggests to me, I could be wrong here that they need to find now a 50,000-seater stadium forgetting the fact that of course that was a, a double header in that first game of the Super 8 so um, I'm not sure what the attendances have to do with what actually happened last summer the, Like, do, do you need to go and find uh, a, a ground like the new Uh, Casement Park or Parky Creeve to actually house the Dubs Parky Creeve, yeah Uh, or
0: like what is couldn't the the neutral game be played in Parky Creeve? like it definitely could so the the rule should be Dublin can't play two games in the county of Dublin that should be it yeah like that's all whereas this gymnastics that they're going through I suspect means thing's going to fail and we're going to have the same situation again this year and
1: that ruins the integrity of the Super 8 because it is ridiculous to say that Dublin are going to play their home game in Parky Creeve. that that is just for and that that is what this move proposes yeah play the neutral game there sorry it doesn't propose that they play their home game in Parky Cueve but they will need to look for a suitably big stadium realistically that's Nolan Park or Port Leash even that like it it definitely has to be the the Gaelic
0: grounds um, they could play in Thurles. like
1: they could play anywhere right there's loads of places that they could play that you're going to get Clonus I mean Clonus Yeah, as a neutral venue that's perfectly fine like, I mean, Monaghan travelled down to Dublin to play in the neutral venue last year. Kerry travelled up to Croke Park to play in the neutral venue last year. Galway travelled over. So you can you, literally, you can set a Dublin playing Parky Queen for their neutral venue. There is absolutely no issue with that. Yeah. Just the semantics of saying That's that the it's, it's the, That's it's the home the venue, it yeah. just seems that they're going about it just the wrong way.
0: Shane Larry's had two bogeys in his first three holes and um, has just found the meaty part of the green on the par three fourth. Uh, no no chance of a birdie on that I mean barring a miracle putt so shoulders a little bit slumped after a difficult start for Shane Larry this morning at uh, Abu Dhabi I didn't realise Justin Johnson was playing in this tournament as well so win this and you get a bucket load of world ranking points
1: yeah bucket load of world ranking points bucket load of dollars as well yeah but uh, most importantly it's to start off the season on the right track he said it was a good uh, Christmas break wasn't it that's kind of helping his uh, upturn in form it uh, just be great to see him back in contention once again. If we can get to Saturday morning with a bit of golf and television with Shane Lowry involved, that would be a good weekend.
0: So let's move on. Khabib uh, Nurmagomedov's head coach, Javier Mendez, spoke to off the brawl last night. He wants Khabib and McGregor to fight again ASAP. The Nevada investigation into UFC nine brawl is due before the end of this month. They, get, they like a good, quick investigation, don't they? You know, months and months and months and months and months and months after the fact, they're finally getting around to have an investigation into uh, what happened in the brawl, uh, which took place after the, um, uh, really, the massive, straightforward victory for Khabib against McGregor. Uh, here is what Javier Mendes had to say last night.
3: Have a listen. So, okay, this is the thing. Uh, come September 29th, we'll know what's going to happen. And Khabib may very well have one idea and I may very well have other ideas, which is usually the case, but usually the person that has the best pulse on what Habib is going to do is his father. It doesn't matter what I say, but what I want uh, is obviously, I look at this as more of a prize, um, yeah. prize fight than I do sport, you know? So I want the biggest prize fight. So the biggest prize fight, hands down, no comparison, is Connor. Yeah. So obviously I want a rematch because that's what this is, the biggest prize fight, right? And... Because of what happened on the last time, there there there's more interest now on the second one. If there's a rematch to be had, because we don't know with Connor, he's so rich now with uh, his, his uh, proper twelve. I hear is doing fantastic. You know he's you know he's he's a great image, bro. He he, he has he's, he appears to be a hell of a businessman. So now's the time to strike while the iron's hot. I say, Cowboy, State is that still yeah. that still would do the pay per view numbers. It would do everything. I I think, think now's the time to consider doing something like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely been uh, buttering up Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, with his. Um, he shut up two games, two separate games, was it? Certainly, he shut
1: up to one.
0: I mean one on the field. He was in Jerry Jones' box. He was on the field throwing passes to Dak Prescott. Then they all did the celebration the next week when, um, ever they scored a touchdown, like. Dallas, I, I mean, I don't know how much money Jerry Jones makes from renting out a stadium. Doesn't seem to want care that much about like making extra cash. He seems to be happy to blow his money on whatever.
1: Spent something like fifteen million on the party when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. He's got that kind of money, though. It is like that's kind of like you spending fifty quid on your fiftieth. <laughs> like you're going to spend fifty quid on your fiftieth. <laughs> Burn, that was a good. one. Um, yeah. All right. Like, I don't see any reason why the, uh, renting out the stadium is going to be an issue from a Jerry Jones' perspective. Well, they feel that that was the thing,
0: that's it. yeah, it's that it's is huge. And it's um, I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe like you bounce these things out of Vegas, and all of a sudden
1: Dallas and Houston metropolitan areas decide they want to go and see a big fight. If they pack out Cowboy Stadium for a UFC card. That's a real game-changer for Dana White, really, isn't it? It's kind of ratcheted this thing up to another level. Like, Texas, obviously, quite protective of the idea that it's a big footballing state, and there's no other sport that's going to come close to football in this state. Like, basketball is tried, and it will always play second fiddle, as it is in a lot of states. I see they've got an MLS team, actually, this week. But if the UFC managed to kind of sell out Cowboy Stadium with a strong pay-per-view card beside it, it's a really big rubber stamp for not only what this organisation can do, but further evidence of this insane brand that is Conor McGregor. Now, the thing is, listening to Khabib's uh, camp there, it, there is a sort of sense that they desperately want this. Like, it's very rare that you hear the clear victor coming out so soon after a fight and saying, we want to rematch so soon. It, they clearly just see the bank balance that could, that could be resulting from this, and it is a huge payday from them, and you can't blame them. But also the lack of peril. There is no peril. He's going to win that fight. Good point. Like, I think that's the most... Yeah, we'll take this fight. Let's is there any way that McGregor gets himself into a shape where he can beat that guy? It's very hard on the evidence of the last fight. Like there was, like Chris Fields was in the studio before that saying that there, there is every chance that if McGregor does X, then he can actually win this thing. But he, he, he did also,
0: like he laid out a path to victory for McGregor, but it was like a bunch of very specific things having to happen almost in sequence.
1: Yeah, it's true. It was kind of like the the idyllic situation time and time and time again in the little mini battles that happened within the fight. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure. But the way he's kind of analysed it himself and the way he's been speaking in just those couple of Instagram posts, McGregor, it's kind of like... There is a huge amount of regret, I think, in terms of how he approached the fight. Now, the thing is, if he approaches it in a different way or has more success early on, like it was the second round I think he won, wasn't it? Um, if he has more success in that first round, does Khabib then have a, a different plan B himself? And he probably does, just because he seems to be a far superior fighter.
0: I don't know. I mean, maybe the other thing if you're Khabib is, like, you have the rematch, you know, you lose it in the
1: fifth round, you get a third fight. And the money rolls on, and you keep McGregor relevant for a long period not of time. Not a chance. That guy does not seem like the type of person who would ever want to, to want to think about money over his... He thinks about money, but money over his greatness as a fighter. He's definitely the, the most tuned in in terms of his legacy as a great combat sports uh, figure. Like he he, win, he wins the second fight as well will it be as comprehensive as the first maybe not maybe they keep it close and you know it goes, goes to That's the right. yeah you need, you need like I don't know so the, I think there's only three fights that
0: in the world that anybody has any interest in McGregor fight again one against Nate Diaz as
1: a decider one against uh, don't say Paulie Malinadji here yeah. just, oh, get <laughs> out of here I'm like, telling you I thought you were joking when I'm you said it, you it yeah. the other day just like, for the sake of creating an argument Like, you could pick three fights and Paulie Malalegy's in the top three people that McGregor could fight to get a... That is going to do any business, that people are not just going to go... Because when is he going to fight
0: UFC people that are, like... Unless he he has, like, some kind of tune-up fight, but they don't do that. He's not going to have a tune-up fight and risk getting injured, being out for a period of time. Every fight has to be a super fight, right? And are there anybody... Is there anybody at that division now that anybody thinks... He, he can beat that
1: he hasn't come off so far from his peak. Okay, so do you think there's a chance that McGregor versus Khabib 2 sells out Dallas Cowboy Stadium? I don't know. I Like, no. I what think about Malinagi there? Way less of a chance.
0: No, but should they stick Malinagi in New York? Or, like, the, that's a Madison Square Garden fight. Yeah, but that, that's, so that's much that, smaller. That's,
1: that's specific to Malinagi, though. I mean, you, 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 I'm talking global appeal here. So, and, like, Texas is almost like a a neutral hunting ground here, probably more, like, I'm not sure what Malinaji even do better than Khabib in that scenario. Like, I, I just think when it comes to the global appeal of uh, a Conor McGregor fight, I don't think the Malinaji idea has as much power behind it as you think. Uh, I think it would be pretty easy to generate that kind of stuff, because... The press tour would be, like, even worse than the Maymac press tour.
0: Uh, well, I don't know if you do as much, like, I don't know if they're looking for that kind of money. They're not going to get that money. That doesn't happen ever again. Well, I I know they're not going to get that type of money. It's a single shot. So this is your... We'll only make 20 million each from this fight. That's okay. Keep selling whiskey is what I say. Yeah, maybe. All right. uh, Off the ball, we'll preview the Dublin Racing Festival from the Sugar Club on Thursday, the 24th of January. It's uh, just a week away. So this night, next week... If you want to be there, we're going to have an all-star lineup up from the world of racing and beyond, including Niall Quinn and Nicky English, Davey Russell and Rachel Blackmore. Patrick Mullins are going to be alongside Kevin Gilvan, Johnny Ward and John Duggan. It will be a festival of racing to preview the Dublin Racing Festival. Um, we're really looking forward to this. It's going to be a massive racing weekend. It takes place at the Leopardstown Racecourse on the 2nd and 3rd of February. So plenty of time to come along to this, have your uh, card marked in advance and then head along to the racing on the 2nd and 3rd of February for all the details about the Dublin Racing Festival at Leopardstown Racecourse. Get your tickets for the festival now at leopardstown.com There's one other thing that we just wanted to talk about which we missed a little bit earlier on was um, Dunica Boyle's piece today about uh, Dear McConley making the point that football needs its mavericks. In the um, picture of Jamie Clark to illustrate the piece, the whole point is that football has become a little bit boring, a little bit mundane, that um, the primacy of the system over the individual has resulted in less individual talent coming to the fore than was previously the case. Now, you can definitely make that case. You can definitely make that argument. You can also make the argument that within the systems we're starting to see super athletes emerge and uh, get on the ball a lot more and influence games a lot more. I'm thinking um, a little bit maybe of some of those young Donegal footballers who will probably become household names, I hope, in, in the next couple of years. But anyway, uh, he's making the point we need Connolly. Football and life is boring without the
1: Conley's of the world, without the Jamie Clarks of the world. He makes things a lot more exciting, Dermot Connolly. And I'm, uh, on the Jamie Clark point, delighted to see him back in these shores. We see Kieran MacDonald on screen as well. Would Kieran MacDonald thrive in the current situation with Gaelic like football? I don't think he'd be as effective as he used to be. I think, for example, Gooch was very lucky to get out when he did. I don't know. I think that, like, those guys, uh, if you have talent like that and you
0: can get them to do stuff, like, I think Kieran McDonald would be an amazing centre-forward picking the ball up. Spraying it about, breaking defenses, and then also scoring. Like, there's definitely a role for that. Or you, you stick him in corner forward, and he wanders around and takes
1: defenders with him. He gets man marked, but like, welcome to the ball game. Yeah, I think centre forward is probably the the kind of that's that's the design in terms of a position for that player at the moment. The only kind of flip side is who's doing the tracking back, who's bringing the physicality to the number six in that situation, or whoever is marking you like i i don't know like we have seen Conor McManus for example thrive in an extremely tough provincial championship extremely tough Allianz league year after year and he was absolutely outstanding last year would he be more outstanding in a different era i do wonder like how how brilliant is Conor McManus's talent i do wonder if it's kind of been hampered a little bit by the environment that he's playing in and, like, Donegal Boyle is bang on. Like, the, these are the, the things that kind of bring life to the championship. It is those little moments, particularly offensively, that, we're, that we'll remember. We don't necessarily remember a great systemic success unless it's at the very top scale, like Donegal against Dublin in, in 2014, for example, or, or Donegal winning the All-Ireland in 2012. So, like, I, I think from a neutral perspective, we'd all be happy to see Dear McConnelly back, wouldn't we? Like... Yeah. I I, I don't see the downside from a a neutral perspective to not having Dean McConaughey involved. No, there's none. Um, The one thing was that we were talking about earlier
0: on about um, the uh, five in a row and whether or not the neutral wants the five in a row to happen.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, You're of the opinion that we all want to see it happen. We absolutely do not want to see the five in a row happen. We want to see this Dublin team beaten. I think most neutrals do. I don't know if they do. Look, why?
0: Because... You want to see greatness. You want to bear witness to greatness the greatest team happens. of all time. But they haven't been the great, they have, they're not the greatest team of all time. Thank you very much. Demonstrably, yes. Like, they may well be, but at the moment they're not. They will be. And they're probably going to be like a seven-in-a-row team that no one touches until the next Dublin team does
1: seven in a row or ten in a row. Like we're, we're, in that, we're in that scenario at the moment. People want to see the greatest taken down. We want to see uh, the fall from grace. Or, like, that, that's why Celebrity Scandals sell so many newspapers, is you want to see spectacular falls from grace. Now, I don't want to see this Dublin team fall from grace. I just want to see them lose one football match in late summer. I want to see a different All-Ireland champion than Dublin. We always want to see the best team taken down. You don't want to see Mayo win. You don't. You don't want to see Cork win. If you gave me a choice... I want to see be- Tyrone win. Well, obviously, I don't want to see any of those teams win. If you gave me a choice between Dublin and Mayo... True grit at teeth I would rather see Mayo <laughs> win in all Ireland. Like that's how much I, I don't want to see the five in a row happen. But that's also because Kerry couldn't do the five in a row, and I would be extremely jealous of Dublin if they did it. Wait until, um, wait until you get
0: your exposure to the Mayo fans on the terraces in Killarney, and you can renew hostilities with them from your running pitch battles last year. Yeah, a couple of knucklebusters. Uh, Bielsa came out fighting in front of Keenan O'Neill and put in half the work preparation. Maybe the Irish team wouldn't have looked so shambolic in the last two years. Bielsa, perfect for Ireland. Hashtag OTBM, says Bernard. Mad says, are Sexton and Carberry are the only two that will play in the main games. I'd say Carty is coming in to get experience with the Irish squad. He'll probably be fourth choice for Japan. He needs to be ready to step up, if required, in Japan. As it is, we only have three fit and trained in. Out halves, getting Carty up to speed is important. Hashtag OTBM. Yeah, exactly. I think that's exactly the point that everybody's making, is that, like... Uh, I see Ross Byrne dumped as the headline on one of the back pages. I don't think that's what's happened here. I'd say they gave him a phone call and said, "Go and play, get um, get game time. We'll be you'll be about the squad later on in the competition and uh, stay ready." Uh, Dara says, "Carty has been immense and playing with serious form." Joe didn't pick him for an upset or morale. Carty is good enough to be capped, no doubt. That's the whole point as well, and it's the same point about Tom Farrell as well. And Mark Redmond says, "Start Carbery." hashtag OTBAM.
1: There you go. We should get. Uh, I'm half Mafia, speaking this morning. He's right, though. Start him. We, we, like, we, we should get uh, Start Carberry billboards put up around Dublin, much like to say, Ferris billboards in uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. This, this should be the national movement, Start Carberry. Three billboards in a row. Yeah. Just outside, on, at wherever. Mayo well, GA already did that. What were their three? Remember, uh, there was. It was Galway who did it, actually, outside Menorah last year and uh, 50, whatever it was, since 1951, however many years, 67 years without an All-Ireland, one more year to go up Galway or something like that. (laughs) Do you not remember that? No, I missed it. That was uh, the day of the game in Castle Bar last year. I've definitely got all those words wrong, but there was definitely three billboards erected outside Manila before Galway Mayo last year. And it worked as well. All right, that's your lot for this morning. We'll be back uh, on uh, tomorrow morning.
0: Um, Mark Kennedy and Liam Lawrence are joining Keith Andrews. And Joe uh, is in studio alongside um, Keith in the Keith Andrews show today. So that's going to be pretty interesting. Then tonight, John Giles, Jim McGuinness and the football show on Thursday nights off the ball. We're back tomorrow at 7.45am. We're not doing the back three tomorrow. It's next Friday before the start of the Six Nations. So going to get Tommy Bowe to select his back three for us. And we'll do the centres in the middle of the week next week as well. So our depth chart will be completed in plenty of time for kickoff ahead of the Six Nations. We'll see you tomorrow. Good luck. So if you like this, you'll probably also like OTBAM, Ireland's only sports breakfast show. Subscribe to the OTBAM podcast stream or catch the show live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or offtheball.com every morning from 7.45 a.m.